Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Iron List. It sounds like Iron Fist, you see. But it's Which, not. But that's not an allusion to uh, the superhero character that is named Iron Fist. No, it just kind of rolls off the tongue. No, and an Iron Fist is an old phrase. Yeah, so my name. Yeah, rule with an Iron Fist. Yeah. That kind of thing. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I too am a critic, and I rule with an Iron Fist. What can I say? And I suppose you're wondering why we have called you here today. <laughs> Thousands of miles below the Earth's crust. Yes, the reason why is because one of you. Is a murderer. I've gathered you here in the accusing parlor <laughs> to accuse one of you of murder. Every month on the Iron List, we ask our patrons over patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network to vote for a topic. And on that topic, Whitney and I each present our own top 10 lists. We do not talk about them in advance. We do not go over our criteria for these lists. We're just picking the 10 films in that topic that we think deserve to be called the best, or at the very least, that we highly recommend. Um, and uh, this month, the topic that won, I think quite handily, was murder mystery movies, which is an interesting choice because, frankly, for a long time, <clears throat> I thought this genre, at least as far as film went, mm. was a little dead. I thought it had kind well, of moved to television. Yeah, I, I was going to say, it was very much alive, just in serialized form on yeah. TV. There was nothing but uh, murder mystery shows on TV. And I'm not just talking about sort of the heyday of your Columbos and your uh, murders heroes. But like every episode uh, of Law and Order. Yeah, Law and, Law yeah. and Order and CSI. CSI like and, all of those yeah. investigation shows were all murder mystery shows. Uh, yeah. And so murder mysteries became uh, really kind of off the rack, not off the rack, but uh, mm. just really common. Yeah. To the point where a really elaborate murder mystery was now much more comfortable in a one-hour format, and expanding that into a feature film seemed almost useless. It, it, it seemed as though you were it was going to be a lot of padding. However, mm. the history of cinema is riddled with great murder mysteries that take on a variety of forms. And I can say this right now, the murder mysteries that I've selected for my particular list, mm. some of them have the old-fashioned Agatha Christie model, we're all stuck in a place and there's a private detective. Yeah. And some of them uh, take on a very different form, because there's a lot of different ways to handle a murder mystery as a topic. Yeah, the, uh, murder mystery is is more of a framework than a genre. Yeah. So uh, I have various genres on my list. Mm -hmm. uh, I have uh, sort of strict standards when it comes to what a murder mystery is. Okay, what are has, they? Because well, again, we it, don't talk about this criteria. Yeah, it, it has to be uh, it has to be a murder mystery, mm -hmm. doesn't it? So uh, that means we can't know who the killer is at the beginning. Okay. It's not one of those things where it's about an investigator finding out who the killer is, but we're also following the killer. Right. That's a mystery for only one of the characters. I'm okay so with... So something like yeah. uh, Alfred Hitchcock's rope mm. is out. Yes. Because we see the murder. Oh, right that's away. not a mystery at all. Yeah. yeah. I, I will personally... Even though a big part of that movie is Jimmy yeah. Stewart, the Jimmy Stewart character, trying to figure out what happened here. I agree. Uh, I will... I will On my personal level, and this is... You don't have to agree with me on this, but this is how I chose. Mm. I also... All of the films on my list revolve around a murder mystery to drive the plot. However, mm. they can do that in unexpected ways. And I <clears throat> don't think that if the murderer has... The murderer, sorry, has to be revealed right at the end. And there's yeah. a few examples where the murderer can be revealed sooner than that and the plot yeah, can still yeah. continue. But the mystery of who done it does have to drive yeah, the character uh, and the stories forward. Indeed. Uh, yeah. Also not... Uh not eligible are films where we get to hear about people plotting a murder. You look up murder mysteries mm. and they bring up things like Peeping Tom or Double Indemnity. Mm. Uh, no, those are just people who do murders. Yeah. There's no mystery to that either. Uh, even though there's like 
that film noir uh, element to it, right. which is also present in certain murder mysteries. Uh, those also don't ma- don't count. This is about somebody who is mm. murdered, and the audience doesn't mm. know who the killer is for a substantial period. Yes, I think that's I think that's exactly the right way to go because I mm. think, although again, there's other ways you can handle this, and if your criteria is different from ours, fair enough. We do need to think about what is the sort of the baseline idea of the genre, and mm. I think the baseline idea is the people in the audience are trying to guess. Mm-hmm. I think the people in the audience are trying to follow along. And some yeah. movies uh, play more fair than others. Yeah. Some movies are, if you pay attention, you can totally figure it out. Other times, the solution is completely off the wall or absurd mm-hmm. or nightmarish and illogical. Uh, but it's always about trying to stay ahead of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I think that's about it for my criteria. I really didn't worry too much about tone. There's some funny movies on my list. Yeah. There are some very serious movies on my list. Some, some scary movies on my list. Um, so why don't you? Uh, why don't you start us off? All right. I'll, so, um, and, uh, I'll start again, us off with uh, real fast. Real fast. Mm. Well, before we, in case anyone's new, oh, yeah. when we do top ten lists here at Critically Acclaimed, we do not count down. We do not count down. Our number nine pick is not considered better than our number ten. They're all equally recommended, except for our number one. That is the film where if you asked us, what is the best murder mystery movie of all time? We would say this film. Mm. Everything else, are two through ten, they're all a tie for second. Yeah, no, um, they're all a tie for second. We want you uh, to see all I'm, of them. I have one that might be a little bit of an exception, and we'll okay. get to it because I don't want to start with it. But um, okay. I'm going to start with one that uh, is definitely a murder mystery. And mm. it's an unsatisfying one because they actually don't find out who the killer is. And we still don't know who the killer is, and it's David Fincher's Zodiac. Oh, um, yeah. I kind of figured you picked this. this is, well, it's most certainly a murder mystery based on uh, the actual Zodiac killer who, uh, you know, caused uh, caused a little, of a, a little bit of a ruckus in uh, San Francisco back in the 1970s. Wow, is that putting it mildly. There was a murder spree, for fuck's sake. There was a murder spree, and uh, the reason it caught so much media attention is because the murderer sent these really elaborate cryptics uh, to the San Francisco Chronicle. Mm. And the San Francisco Chronicle published them in the papers. And pe- like the public was solving yeah. puzzles, trying to figure out what these messages were and who the killer was and what they were trying to do. And uh, the Zodiac Killer was never apprehended. And there no. have been many, many, many books and movies made about mm. the Zodiac Killer and the mystery of... The mystery thereof. Yeah, some uh, some literal, some figurative. The mm. original Dirty Harry uh, is about a the, the a, Scorpio killer, which yeah, is you know, very clearly enough. based off of. In fact, in the movie Zodiac, mm. the cops investigating the Zodiac killer go see Dirty Harry, mm. and they're annoyed. Like, why does Dirty Harry get to catch him, and we don't? <laughs> Well, and the the idea is, you know, now that the Zodiac Killer is like part of pop culture history, and we haven't caught him yet, yeah, he's essentially gone forever. Yeah, it's like that, just like Jack the Ripper, the the legend. Mm. Unless it's it's very unlikely that there's going to be some kind of bulletproof evidence. Yeah, that's going to uh, sort of cut through the quagmire of all the legend and all the mm. different theories. Uh, Alan Moore did a book about. Um, uh, Jack, Jack the Ripper, the Ripper yes. called From Hell. From I Hell, uh, with I think it was Eddie Campbell was the artist, and that's an incredible book. Uh, and the book is I, the movie's okay. It's not one of my runners up. Gorgeously photographed, not a great adaptation. But if you buy the book, and it's this giant like telephone book sized tome, there's a brilliant car- uh, comic at the end of it called Dance of the Gull Catchers, which is all about how all of the different theories, all of the different false confessions, have led to this place where. 
there is literally no way we'll ever know conclusively who Jack the Ripper is because the mo- the waters have been muddied too yeah, much. Yeah, I, I and that's remember probably the case with the Zodiac Killer. Uh, you could say the same thing about JFK. You know, yeah. We, we will never know all the details about the murder of JFK. Uh, JFK would have um, been a good pick for this list, actually. Yeah. I didn't yeah, think yeah. about that. That's <laughs> actually that pretty clever, pres- yeah. Presidential assassination. Still a murder. Technically yeah. counts. <laughs> Technically counts. That's not... I'm going to add that to my runner's-up, actually. I hadn't thought about right, it. Shut I'll write that down, too. JFK. <laughs> That's a good runner-up. Uh, Oliver Stone's film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Zodiac, uh, very much like JFK, is about yeah. sort of the process of the investigation and coming to a lot of non-conclusions. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal plays Robert Graysmith, who wrote the book that the film was based on, the screenplay was based on, mm. and uh, it's about how he becomes just sort of, at first, he works at the San Francisco Chronicle as a, a cartoonist, mm. but he becomes kind of interested in the puzzles, and that interest spins off into this decade-long search to find who this guy is, that becomes an obsession and, you know, kind of consumes his life, and how the point of the movie is this constant searching for the killer is another way that he's kind of in the abstract taking lives still. Hmm. Like kind of disappearing into this guy's consciousness and trying to figure out who he is. It's, you know, it's all very tantalizing, but at the same time, what are you really getting out of it? And uh, um, Mark Ruffalo plays one of the, the investigating cops in the movie. Um, he's the one who has like all of the cynical dialogue. Yeah. like, we, we have to give up on the Zodiac Killer. Well, why? This is so tantalizing. This guy was teasing us and he got away with it. Do you know how many more people have died in San Francisco mm-hmm. since that? How many other killers have killed more people than that guy? Yeah. He's, and he's, he's caught that. He's the he's the he's the exciting one. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. like, yeah. And I mean that's the, that's the sad thing, is you you we like to think because of all the murder mystery stuff that we've seen, mm. that there's always just if we just keep at it, we'll find that one clue and we'll figure it out. Yeah. There's a sad number of unsolved murders in the world, which means there's a sad number of murderers out there. Just, just walking around. Just did it, yeah. Yeah, not and not for like and not like, you know, for like good reasons like self defense or anything like that. Like yeah, legitimate they just like, ki- like someone because they wanted to. Planned yeah. to do it, did it out of passion or just pure villainy or or we got away with it. That's a terrifying thought, but it's true. Um Zodiac is one of the great uh movies, I think. I didn't put it on my list, I think largely because I knew you would and I thought okay. I could get away with it. Uh but I do love this I, movie. I adores I love this movie and I think it's one of the great movies about not how do I phrase this it's the great movie about the appeal of a murder mystery and not about in like a fun way Mm -hmm. but in a fucked up way and about how you can become completely like obsessed with really gruesome imagination Mm -hmm. uh and um I think that's something that a lot of people experience and a lot of people understand. I mean, true crime is an exceptionally popular genre mm. of book, television, right now, movie, podcast, yeah. podcast in particular right now. Um, people are fascinated by stories of true crime. Uh, it's it's a it's a glimpse into the darkest underbelly of the human experience and soul, mm. and, um, and we and we want to we want to brush up against that darkness. We're sort yeah. of drawn to it in a weird sort of way. Yeah. Um, I think the reason why people are uh, go to true crime is also because it might be an example of the system working. You you, you just said yeah. murders are out there. 
Yeah. The true crime stories usually have a conclusion. They caught them in some way. and uh, Often, yes. Or, yeah. or, or at least there's like a, a button to the story. Like if something happened hundreds of years ago, it's like, yeah. and we finally found who did it and yeah. using this new technique to follow. It gives us old, this idea that there's some order to the universe and that justice is yeah. possible and... Which I guess uh, is reassuring, yeah. yeah I, I remember reading a true crime novel uh, that was being optioned at, when I was working for Roger Corman back in the day. Uh-huh. And uh, it was about a group called Citizens Against Homicide. Well, well because, yeah, that makes sense. Frankly, I'm still on the fence on the issue. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Citizens Against Homicide, and yeah, it was a about... <laughs> Welcome to Ka! <laughs> But it's a big raven. It's like on their on their logo, was, whatever. Like that. But it was favorite. it was one of those yeah. things where you know uh, one of the one of the founders had experienced a, a personal tragedy. Uh, yeah. You know, a family member of theirs had been murdered, and it was yeah. about them tr- like pushing the cops to complete the yeah the murder. And a big appeal of true crime is also, and this is a big appeal of Zodiac, is that it's not the cops who are doing it. Yeah, it's a guy. It's yeah. Robert Graysmith. He's a cartoonist, and even after mm-hmm. he's a cartoonist, he's still interested. He's writing books yeah. about it. It's about the human uh, the, the human populace gets to sort of appoint themselves this sort of freelance constabulary and we yeah. get to be the ones who catch the the villains it inter- gets to sort of fancy ourselves heroes through true it, crime it's interesting to me how many because if you think of a murder mystery story as a story of people writing a wrong uh, mm-hmm. solving a crime and it's amazing to me how many of the great murder mystery stories fictional mm-hmm. Uh, are not about cops doing it. There's a general understanding that cops are not meant for that sort of thing, you no. know, solving crimes. Um, it's <laughs> reminded of the scene in uh, The Big Lebowski, yeah, where he gets his car back. He's like, "Who are you gonna find out who did this? Do you have any leads?" And the cop gets super sarcastic. Oh well, let me go check with the guys down at the crime lab. Yeah, they got us working in shifts. <laughs> leads. Yeah, get your car back. Get out it, of here. It, it, it's frustrating, but to the and I'm not saying all cops are like this, but. Mm. A significant number are, and that's kind of the way the system is built. Um, it's a day job at the best of times, uh-huh. and they don't always do it good. And at the worst of times, it's just fucking terrible and corrupt. Mm. Uh, and I think a lot of the faith that we have that uh, crimes can be solved that comes from the citizenry mm. is a kind of uh, um, what's the one I'm looking for here. Mm. Um, Kind of aspirational for the reader or yeah, the, or the yeah, viewer, yeah. like you, if you were, if you, yeah, well, if you it's were, it's power fantasy. Yeah, if you, it? if yeah. you were, if you were at a party and someone died, and you couldn't call the cops, you could figure it out mm. because you're smart, right? That's the kind of vibe, um, and I think Zodiac manages while being real to tie into that. And I think it's one of the reasons why it connects. Mm. Um, it's a great movie. It's a great yeah, movie, and yeah. it, it literally the only reason it didn't make my list was I knew you'd pick it. Ha <laughs> My gamble okay. paid off. Uh, for my uh, number ten pick. And I usually reserve my first pick of the day to a big swing. All right. Just a movie that is really unlikely to come up on anyone else's list, or I want to go to bat for something, or maybe I'm really pushing the rules a little bit. And this time I'm picking a film that I really love mm-hmm. and nobody talks about, even though it's fucking awesome. And it's directed by Douglas Sirk. It stars Lucille Ball, <laughs> George Sanders, mm-hmm. Boris Karloff, and Charles Coburn. And it is called Lured, which sounds a bit like Lurid, and I think that's intentional, but it's Lured. Oh, oh, it's meant to be Lured. Cirque knew what he was doing. Oh, yes, he like, did. I've, I've seen precious few Douglas Cirque movies. I've seen the important ones. I've seen yeah. Written on the Wind. I've seen yeah. All That Heaven Allows. He, he, he and, made a name uh, for himself by like uh, uh, doubling down on this kind of... Uh, Melodrama, melodrama. Uh, this sort of almost th- a soap opera. Yeah, and uh, but he did other genres as well, and this is a straight up murder mystery. Yeah. Um, and but, it's really really but cool. He, 
uh, Douglas Sirk was a master at uh, at coding. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of talk about like just very frank sexuality in his movies, but you know they can't actually show having you know sex on the the screen because of the yeah. Hays Code. He was making yeah. movies in the fifties. Uh, but yeah, he was the best at sort of putting that stuff in there. And this is all what Lourdes about. So Lourdes mm-hmm. stars Lucille Ball uh, as an American dancer in London. Her career isn't going that great, and one of her fellow dancers has recently gone missing and is suspected to be the newest victim of a serial killer called the Poet Killer. And he Poet Killer. And here's it. what he does. He lures his victims... Uh, into private by placing personal ads in the newspaper. This is a relatively new thing to exploit for for Mm. mystery and horror. Uh, And uh, meanwhile, he also taunted the police with, like, poems about his latest crimes. So a little inspired by Jack the Ripper here, but also basically the Craigslist killer. But in 1947. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And Lucille Ball is enticed by the police to go undercover as a woman answering all of the weirdest personal ads in the paper, mm. trying to figure out which one is the guy. <laughs> and it's great. Like she ends up like, you know, going on, going out on an ad and it's Boris Karloff and he wants her to do some really weird stuff with that. The memory serves like mannequins and stuff. He's super creepy, right. not the guy, uh-huh. <laughs> but it's super creepy. And it's basically this like lurid exploration of kink in the 1940s mm. while trying to, operate under uh, a, a certain code restriction, which yeah. is really fascinating. Meanwhile, she's falling in love with uh, an aristocrat played by George Sanders, who, of course, is amazing and everything. Um, Lucille Ball's great in this. You know, she's known so much for comedy now that people forget that wasn't all she could do. She just kind of, that was what she committed to and that was what was making her money. Yeah. Uh, and she's a really, really solid Hitchcockian lead in this. Um, it's a really... Have you seen this? No. It's a really cool film. Uh, and I'm not going to ruin all the twists and turns to it. A lot of the sort of talk about serial killers and the way they taunt and the way that they like, take mementos and shit like that is stuff that we would consider now to be rather ahead of its time. Okay. Um, there's a film that didn't make my list, which would be a good double feature with this, called Mystery Street, hmm. starring Ricardo Montalban as a homicide detective. And he's using all the latest like scientific techniques to solve a crime. Nice. Like, it's CSI 1950. Which is really quite fascinating, actually, and it's it's a cool film. But I think Lourdes has a stronger, like, emotional plot. Uh-huh. So of the sort of uh, uh, serial killer investigation uh, slash procedural uh, mm. type uh, mysteries, this is my favorite of the era. And I do hope you check it out, because it's really, really cool. Nice. All right, what's your next pick? Uh, what is my next pick? What I don't know, Whitney. That's why I asked you these um, things. My God. <laughs> Let's see. How about we just go for total classic? Okay. Uh, just straight up, there are a group of people in a, a finite location. There is a masterful detective among them. Somebody uh-huh. dies, and it's up to that detective to solve them. Uh-huh. It's the original murder on the Orient Express. Okay, it's, well, uh, surprise, that's my number one. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> you know what? Fittingly enough, yeah. uh, it, it, it's it's sort of like the you know the platonic ideal of the way these things ought to operate. Yeah. I'm talking about the one from the 70s, uh, the Sidney Lumet film with yeah. Albert Finney as Poirot. Yeah. The Kenneth Branagh uh, one's also quite good, but it's just it's a different beast. Well, it's it's a it's a revival. It's, you know, a, a, yeah. a new ver- the same story with a new cast. That's yeah. all. Um, I would argue there's... that Branagh's death on the Nile brings something different to the story than the original, mm-hmm. but his murder on the Orient Express is basically it's, just the original, but the, it's it's also cast. it's also the better film of the two. Um, yeah. I, although I do like Death on the Nile. Um Yeah. And I, I like his version of Poirot, but yeah. Al- Albert Finney, uh, 
<laughs> plays Poirot in a way I didn't expect. Poirot is is a, a bit of a goof mm-hmm. in this uh, throughout the story. Yeah. He's he's not so serious minded like Sherlock Holmes, who's very you know nose to the grindstone, doesn't make jokes, is very serious in his detective work. And I feel like Sherlock Holmes has been the archetype for which most other investigators uh, commit. Yeah, a lot of times, yeah. Like, I think, yeah, I think Sherlock sort of Holmes, like bloody-minded commitment I, to I figuring the, out the I mystery. I think the two, uh, uh, the two mystery-solving detectives on whom almost any other one is based nowadays is mm-hmm. either Sherlock Holmes or Miss Marple. Yeah. Either the hard-boiled super genius or the mild-mannered you wouldn't expect they're a super genius. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hercule Poirot is is a little bit of a, an odd duck, and I think yeah. that's what I like about the character. Um, he's uh, you know very very meticulous and refined. He uh, there's a, a sequence in the the movie version where you get to see him preparing for bed, oh, yeah. and all of the very bizarre things he needs to do to keep his hair and more importantly his mustache in place. He has to wear a sleeps. mustache protector like across his face <laughs> when he goes amazing. to bed. Yeah, uh, and. And Very when, vain. Yeah, and uh, and of course it takes place on the Orient Express on a train, uh, and somebody dies on the Orient Express. Yeah, and it turns out that almost every single person on this train has a motive to kill them. Yeah, and every single person on the train is an actor you should know. We got well, Sean Connery. Yeah, we got Ingrid um, Bergman. We've got uh, it's Vanessa Redgrave, isn't it? Vanessa Redgrave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like every single person in the in the movie is. Yeah, we have uh, Lauren Bacall is yeah. in there. Anthony Perkins is in there. Martin Balsam. Yeah. There's uh, a tendency, and you get this from like Law and Order. If there's a celebrity guest, you, they they did it. You're pretty sure. Like there was what was that Jared Leto movie with uh, Denzel Washington? Like all the all the little things or something. Oh yeah, all the little things. Yeah, like yeah. there's there's a scene in that. I mean, we know Jared Leto did it because he's he's advertising the film. Leto, but even yeah. if you didn't, if you didn't know Jared Leto was in that movie, they spent half the movie trying to figure out who's doing these killings, and then Denzel Washington like goes into like a like a dry cleaning service or something like that, and the door quickly opens and you see Jared Leto back there, and then they close it, and I'm like, well, it's him. Clearly, it's him. <laughs> oh, my God, you don't get. I mean, I know I, I have mixed feelings about Jared Leto, obviously, but like, yeah, it's clearly he's very recognizable. Um, <laughs> uh, so, but, but yeah, here, but here but it could he, be anybody. Here it could because they yeah. peppered the cast with nothing but celebrities, yeah. which was very a very gimmicky thing that they did a lot in the 1970s for yeah. a lot of big Hollywood blockbusters. And this this is the movie that uh, really helped popularize that. Yeah, yeah, that and a lot of the disaster movies as well, yes. just sort of like packing your movie with uh, yeah. just nothing but Oscar. Well, that, that's what they had for spectacle before they realized that all everyone wanted was like superhero movies and sci-fi. Well, it's it just changed now. Yeah. Everybody wants the the effect. Everybody wants the character more than they want the actor. Yeah, uh, it's like uh, nobody said, "Wow, I'm really excited to see the next Chris Evans movie." Yeah, uh, no, they just want to see the superheroes he's played. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, when it came to us, you know, this gimmick in the 1970s, Murder on the Orient Express has one of the best casts of all time. Does. And I went in not knowing the twist Ooh. when I saw the movie because I hadn't yeah. read the story yet. Oh, it's it's got with we don't want to ruin it. It's got the best ending. So there is ever. A, a wonderful reveal as to who the actual oh, killer the is. The ending of and, Murder on the Orient Express is the best. It's my favorite murder mystery ending ever. And and it's one of those things. Well, well oh, I think it's them. Oh, I think it's them. No, you couldn't predict that. There's no way. Yeah. yeah. There's no. Uh, there's no way you're that far ahead. You. Uh, I so would be it, shocked. It's, it, unless it's like it's subconsciously in the back of your head, like someone at a party mm. told you this like 20 years ago and you kind of forgot about it. Yeah. That's the only way you could maybe figure this out yeah. is if it's already in the back of your head because this this is a good one. Yeah, Usually it's uh, just, oh, it was that guy. 
You, but like, no, this is this 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 is good. I, I also yeah. really love movies that take place sort of in isolated locations. They're yeah. they're easy to sort of get your head around. Uh, and the Orient Express is a good location. You understand how trains work. You understand the practicalities of a train. Yeah. Uh, another another good example of that is the thing. Yeah. They're, like they're they're not going down to town. You know, no, nobody's I, coming in from the outside. Uh, well, that's so, something I, I the, think Sydney. The Lee. isolation made for. Mm-hmm. Uh, a desperate need to solve the mystery because there's nothing else to do right now. Right. And one of us is a killer for league, you know, yeah. like you, you, you can't like just chillax uh-huh. knowing that someone around you is a killer. <laughs> like the only person who can chillax is the murderer and they're worried about getting caught. So the thing that I think is really noteworthy here is that this is a Sidney Lumet joint and Sidney mm. Lumet is one of the great filmmakers, but he's not necessarily known as um, a stylist. In well, fact, he's, yeah. his films are usually very grounded and buttoned down. And this movie this opens is... with like a gl- gloriously spooky and atmospheric shot of that train. Mm. And every single part of the film, it's like when you watch like some of the other like Agatha Christie adaptations in which usually the structure is we meet a whole bunch of characters. Someone doesn't die until like halfway through. Uh-huh. And then the second half is leading to the resolution and the sol- solving of the crime. Um, in the worst versions of that, whether it's the books or the movies, um, we're just kind of fucking around until the murder happens. The best <laughs> versions remind you the murder is coming. Like well, you they, can't, you can't they give you hints yeah. and that's, that's, um, it, but there's hints, but there's also visual cues basically just saying this is a place of murder. Yeah. And that's something that Sidney Lumet understood is we need to be immersed in the tone. Mm. Even if, even long before the murder happens. It needs to feel like this is where a murder would happen. It's so gloriously atmospheric, mm. so wonderfully insidious and creepy, and yeah, it's very funny. And a lot of that's because of Albert Finney just being such a a wonderful sprightly actor who's like just dashing through the train, like I've got an idea. <laughs> it's so great. Um, this this movie's the best. It really is. I it's, love it. It's so so good. And I'm, I kind of thought maybe we'd have the same number one. So now I'm very curious what your number one is. Okay. Well, uh, I'll I'll remind you of this my, number uh, one later. But uh, like, again, yeah. you you might uh, you might contest my number one because it's, oh, it's uh, it doesn't play hard and fast by a lot of rules. All right. Well, um, um, but Murder on the Orient Express yeah. set the set the sort of a template for a lot of the murder mysteries that were to come after it. Yeah. This idea of. A film about an eccentric detective who is going to mm. investigate a, a singular murder in, in an isolated location, mm. and uh, and everybody has a motive, and you don't know mm. what's what's actually going on. Uh, and speaking of a movie, because that was your number one, I guess I can just move on. Yeah, to my I guess next again. one. Uh, a movie that does give you a lot of hints as to what's coming and has a lot of uh, bitterness and <laughs> and hate all throughout the first part of the movie. Uh huh. Uh, is Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. Uh, oh, okay. Which, uh, a, a film which you know, some people have said was overrated. I really like Knives Out. Um, I like it too. It didn't make my list, but okay. I do. I, I'll tell you why in a minute, but let's let's hear your, let's hear your passion about What it. I admire about Knives Out is that hatred, uh, yeah. that every character is just a bitter dickhead. <laughs> and, and they all, it's this horrible rich family who yeah. uh, who all have motivation for murdering the patriarch of the family. It's played by Christopher Plummer in the movie. Yeah, and, and, he's, and uh, he's, a, he's an author of murder mystery yeah. novels, and he's got a mystery house filled yeah. with secret rooms <laughs> yeah, and the, things so, and murder it, weapons everywhere. Yeah, there's secret Great. passageways. Should have won, Compl- won best uh, yeah. production design. I love that, I love that house. Completely contrived. And, of yeah. course, the, uh, the interrogation seat is next to this bizarre sculpture, which is just hundreds of knives pointing at their head. I know. It's like, so great. Th- this is... Okay, this is... 
fantasy world. This, this is. But, you know, it, it kind of works for this movie because everything is really kind of overblown. Uh, it rolls with the, the inherent melodrama of a murder mystery mm-hmm. that everything's going to kind of come out cleanly. And it also treats us to, I think, a pretty indelible investigator character. Mm-hmm. I think Benoit Blanc, as played by Daniel Craig, mm-hmm. uh, is is something out of a pulp novel, like something that could have a character that could have been around for many, many decades. Uh, In fact, I, when I was watching it, I was curious, I was curious if this was like a character I just, that was well established long ago Mm -hmm. and I just hadn't known yet. No, it was invented for the movie. And now he's going to be in a sequel. So they're going to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. And and I really, really hope that uh, the sequel is like knives out was like, book three of the Benoit Blanc mysteries <laughs> and the next one is like book 18 of the Benoit yeah. Blanc like it's just completely divorced from I wouldn't it. be surprised Ryan Johnson loves murder mysteries like he mm. loves them and he just peppers his stories like the thing with Knives Out and I really can't go into great detail about this because it's all about the twists and yeah. there's some good twists in Knives Out um, it's giving you exactly what you want from a murder mystery while also, if you really love murder mysteries, playing with your expectations. Yeah. And change, throwing in a few change-ups. I it's, really it, it's, think... And, the, and yeah. the, but do you think he's, he plays fair? He gives oh, you yeah. enough clues that you could be able to figure it out oh, this sure. time. It's well, not like it's not and, like Murder on the Orient Express well, in that I'm, regard. Well, and here's the... Yeah, I think Murder on the... I don't think... I, I, think, I could have that conversation about Murder on the Express, but I couldn't do it without ruining the ending, unfortunately. I, I but. don't think he, he springs anything on you, like, at the last minute to mm. change all of the rules. No, I he doesn't. He, and, and, but then he does give a reveal, mm-hmm. and then now that we know who's who's up to something, but we yeah. still don't know who's up to something. Here's, so, yeah, here's, I have two, here's my two problems. Well, I have three problems with Knives Out. Right. And they're they're not individually... If there was These are the only problems I'd be fine with it. Mm. Um... One, and this is a very personal thing, and not this, your mileage will marry wildly on this, mm. I, f- I figured out the ending pretty early. Okay. I, I was paying very close attention, yeah, and I caught the clues, and usually when that happens, I find out, like, I was close, but I was wrong, or turns out that was a red herring or whatever, like, and this time, no, that was that was what happened, and I was like, no. So, like, <laughs> a little, I, little upset that you I, I just got, you know, I'm playing along, like, the movie yeah, wants like, me to. I just won that round, and I hope the next one I'm totally in the weeds. So it brought it down a smidge for me, but that's not really the movie's fault. I just I, I got lucky and glommed onto the right clues. All right. Um, two, I honestly think that uh, the way that the, the plot is peppered out, I think this would have been a little stronger if there were a few murders in the second half. I feel like we lose some of the tension. In the uh, second half, I think uh, we yeah, fair. It's a it's well, a little it, thing like it, in, it on its starts, own, not enough. It starts to shift into a different kind of a story yeah. after a while. Um, the the Chris Evans character starts like he's sort of like the outsider, rich, uh, yeah. like de- dejected character of the family. And yeah, he, his he, character he starts, takes on new dimensions. Yeah, like and, he, he yeah. starts to go off and do sort of his own thing for a little yeah. bit. Yeah, and I I get it. It's fine. I just felt like the the tension kind of wavered a little bit. I also feel as though the film's attempt to deal with serious socio political themes is a little surfacey. And even though the last hmm. shot feels like it's kind of big, when you really yeah. analyze it, you realize, well, actually not that much was really accomplished here. But um, in general, I like this movie a lot. Uh, I made my runners up. It's a very, very good I, murder I, mystery. I, I, I like the, the cast is fantastic. Shot, the cast yeah. is fantastic. It's a, it's a lot of fun to watch. It just it didn't make my top ten for those reasons. But it is very, very good. In fact, uh, I love Ryan Johnson's take on murder mysteries so much that my next pick is also a Ryan Johnson movie. <laughs> Which I knew you would pick. Yeah, I because I love the movie, shit yeah. out of Brick. <laughs> Brick is great. Brick is an Brick. Brick was uh, Ryan Johnson's uh, big breakout movie, uh, and it stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt as two thousand four, five, six, around there, around there. Um, it was in the mid two thousands, 
and it stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt as a hard-boiled detective in high school. So basically, imagine if Encyclopedia Brown was investigating, like, drug kingpins and murders, mm. and that's Brick. Um it's really cool. And what I love about Brick is that on one hand, it's kind of a gimmick movie. On one hand, it's the hard-boiled Sam Spade kind of uh, uh, murder mystery, but it's set in a high school. And there's like little funny bits where like he goes to the principal and the principal's played by the great Richard Roundtree. And he's just like, if you don't like what I'm doing, then write me up or suspend me, which is exactly what a cop would say in that movie. But when you're in high school, it means something different. Yeah. Get it? <laughs> it's really, really clever. But what makes Brick more than just that joke, that's not, because that, that's a one note joke. Hmm. That's a sketch. The actual story is great. The actual murder mystery plays really fair, and it's full of really interesting characters and unusual motivations and really exciting filmmaking. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, uh, plays a guy whose uh, ex-girlfriend broke up with him mysteriously, and now she's dating like the rich kids in school. She calls him out of the blue, and she sounds really, really scared, and she goes missing, and then he finds her body. Mm. And he decides not to tell anyone about it for a while so he can investigate the murder and try to solve it on his own and it leads him to the darkest underbellies of high school which if you've ever been to high school yeah there's a lot of those um wonderful characters throughout the entire thing the dialogue is mm. so fucking crisp you could bend it like it would just you would go break in your hands and you'd eat it like a cookie like it's so fucking great mm. It's truly inspired filmmaking, and I love that it's clearly based around the idea of a joke, but the movie is not a joke. It's just kind of funny. But the actual serious storyline that uh, uh, Jessica Levitt's character goes through is genuinely emotional, and at the mm. end of it, I really do feel a lot of complex emotions over what happened here, and I'll tell what right. was a tragedy on multiple levels. Um, so I, I ultimately, I prefer Brick, but those are both right. really good films. Um I don't like Brick. <laughs> I, uh, I, I think I think it's too precious. I think it's too precious by half. Uh, uh, the the dialogue uh, f feels just like a one hair too constructed. Like uh, Ryan Johnson is like showing off rather than characters that say witty things. And uh, I liked it a lot better when it was called River's Edge. Uh, oh. it, was, it, it resembles River's Edge in a lot of ways. Yeah, fair uh, enough. Uh, yeah. It, it's. Ryan Johnson watched River's Edge. He's kind of deriving a lot from River's Edge. Feel, uh, I, I hate like to break really it to you. Knives yeah. Out, he, he he saw some Poirot movies and read some books. Absolutely, but yeah. Poirot <laughs> is a lot, lot more broad a topic to sort of pay homage to. It's mm -hmm. not ripping off a singular source uh, mm -hmm. like like he is with Brick and River's Edge. I think um, he's ripping off a singular source with Poirot. I'm sorry. Benoit Blanc uh, is very much... Let's go Benoit Blanc for God's sake. He's Poirot. Uh, fine, fine. Uh I would say that the, the decades between uh, the invention of Hercule Poirot and the invention of River's Edge maybe make all the difference there. Yeah, okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I just, I, I watched, I watched, uh, I watched Brick. It's like, you know, uh, I need to see that when I'm like 15 years old, mm. when it seems like it's witty and not contrived, when <laughs> oh, I haven't God. seen so many movies. You're so harsh on this movie. Yeah. I um, love this movie to pieces, so I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to end it right there. What's your next film? Like, Ryan, Ryan Johnson didn't have me for a while. I didn't like Brick. I didn't see The Brothers Bloom. I didn't Brothers like, Bloom was really good, by the way. You uh, like Brothers Bloom. I, that um, movie really got me. But I, yeah, I wasn't fond of Looper. Um, Looper really loses its way in the second half. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it wasn't until his Star Wars movie, actually, yeah. when I realized, oh, wait a minute, this guy's got something to say. Yeah. 
It's a, yeah, the, ironic, the, the, right? the, yeah, the big studio film is the one where I kind of hear his voice the loudest. What an interesting career he's had. Mm. I do, and, one and, of my and, I, and I love Knives Out. So one of my favorite go. gags in the new Scream is that Ryan Johnson's mm. Scream reboot was so controversial and it was treated just like Star Wars. Like Half, yeah. the, half the fan base <laughs> was really divided on it. Uh, you can get t-shirts now that say directed by Ryan Johnson in yeah. the stab font. Oh my god, okay, I really want that actually now. That's hilarious. Because he uh, did, what was it? St- it was Stab 8, but it was, stab it was eight. just called Stab. But it was just called Stab. It was like the new one's called Scream. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what's your next pick? Uh, scream. Okay. <laughs> sure, why not? I assume the original. The original, yeah. Yeah. Also, di- I it didn't make my list because I wanted to talk about a few other films. Mm. I didn't think you were going to put it on yours, but I'm glad you did because okay. this is a great murder mystery. It's a great murder mystery. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a slasher movie. Uh, many slasher movies are uh, are also murder mysteries. You don't know who the killer is. Yeah. Uh, that's the case of most uh, Italian giallo films. Yeah, uh, Scream really takes more from the mm. giallo genre than even the American yeah, slasher um, genre, really, because they're all. The, the, the giallo genre is uh, there's a really flamboyant serial killer out there who's killing people in really wild ways, and but it's also a detective story. Yeah, we we only ever see the killer's hands, and the traditionally the killer's hands in these movies were the director's hands. The director like well, to play Dario the killer. Argento's movies anyway. Uh, yeah. Not just Argento, a lot of people do okay. that. Um, but yeah, Argento is notorious for doing that. Um, there are some slasher movies that do have that murder mystery uh, element to it. The, the, the original Friday the 13th, we don't know if it's actually Jason or if it's just some sort of uh, campfire story. And that first movie turns out it wasn't Jason. Uh, and uh, what was the, what was I just thinking of? You were thinking about... Uh, oh, Black Christmas was the other one. Was yeah, well, Black uh, Christmas, you never really get a good... Yeah, and, you'd, and yeah. Yeah, even by the end, you're not really sure who the killer is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's the same with uh, with Scream. Uh, yeah. Although at the end they do reveal who it's it pretty is. clear who that's, did it in Scream. But yeah, uh, but yeah, every, every, well, as, there's, there's, as Randy there's, says, there's, everyone's there's, a suspect. Uh, there's speeches at the end. You know, where yeah. where um, yeah, we get to hear sort of the mo of of the murderer. Um, but yeah, Scream is a teen slasher at a time, and it came at this is you know a lot of a lot of hay has been made of this. It came at a time when slashers were a little bit more abundant. Yeah, pretty 19, much that is a genre. The, the 1990s were not kind of the kind of the genre. It was around the time of Halloween Part Six and yeah. Hellraiser Part Four. It's like we're still staggering over the line with this stuff. Yeah, there were, it wasn't uh, a respectable genre at the moment. Yeah, and and horror was in a pretty interesting place because there was a lot of innovation going on, mm. and uh, what was meant to be sort of like. The final farewell to slashers ended up reviving the whole genre again. Well, because because uh, the thing about Scream is that while commenting on the things that are kind of silly about slashers mm-hmm. and the things that are you know absurd or at least cliched, um, they also understood what made them work, mm-hmm. and that's why Scream works well, so that, well that, because it got really yeah. good characters and it has uh, good, well, yeah. and and I think that the you know, the magical alchemy of Scream and I think one of the main reasons the newest Scream, Scream Five doesn't work nearly as well is mm. that Scream is a really scary movie. Mm. It works as a, a, a murder movie as well as a mystery as well as a commentary on the things that it's presenting to you. Yeah. So we have characters in this movie who are aware of horror movies. They've seen a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, very much in that breathless sort of way. They're it, it, conversations and behavior is dictated by mm. what they've seen in movies. And it's worth remembering and, that uh, until like the mid '90s, where films mm. like Scream and Pulp Fiction and Clerks came out, characters in movies talking about movies that they've seen was seen as pretty gauche. Yeah. Like, it like, was seen as just sort of like, or, oh, or it's how, how interesting they are. Or it was yeah. a little jokey, like in something like Sleepless in Seattle, where yeah. they're talking about a fair to remember all the time. Um, yeah. And that's a reference to, like, one movie rather than, you know, mm. movies in general. Whenever they did it, when it was something like, uh, if you ever saw the mo- the horror movie Fade to Black. Mm, I actually uh, haven't seen that one. Uh, that, it's, it's about a, a serial killer who dresses as characters from famous movies ah. before he commits his murders. And there's something a little precious about that sure. one. Uh, 
no preciousness in Scream. It actually kind of understands a lot about the way young people communicate and the way pop culture is just folded into Gen X's patois. I remember seeing this in high school when mm. I was like the same age as the characters and thinking to myself, this is like the first mm. movie of my generation that kind of talks like we talk. Yeah. yeah which like is it, really it something. Kind of got it right. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Williamson wrote the screenplay. And it just brilliant. Great screenplay. Kevin Williamson, better known for television. He did, I think it was the Dawson's Creek guy. Did Dawson's Creek, yeah. did True Blood. He yeah, had a lot of successes, a, yeah. More success on TV. But yeah, the Scream screenplays as well. Uh, I think the new Scream, like, it has an interesting commentary, but it's just dead boring as a horror movie. Oh, I, li- uh, I like so many of its sequences as a horror um, movie. I really do. I, 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 I like the movie a, a lot more maybe, than you. Maybe in a bottle, but yeah, I didn't like I like the movie a lot more than you. But the original Scream, I think, really, really plays. And I... It's sort of strange that it's continued to be uh, sort of this cultural presence. It was so good and was such a big success at the time. And yeah, all of a sudden, this new revival sort of sprung up about, you know, we're going to do self-aware slashers. Slashes about kids who are a little bit more hip and know exactly how people talk. So you have... Or, or just look and feel a little bit the same. Movies like, I know what you did last summer and Valentine and mm. Urban Legends. S- someone out there is yelling at me and I just want to stop and apologize right oh. now. He didn't do True Blood. He did The Vampire Diaries. Vampire Diaries. I just, it, it, slip oh. of the tongue. I knew, I knew, wait, wait, that can't be right. And well, then I, well, I flipped it around because it was what, uh, in, Alan Ball did True Blood. That's it, in your defense, it. those are the same show. So... Uh, <laughs> True Blood and the Vampire Diaries, they just retitled the same show. They, okay. they just ran them on different networks, and uh, there, there's really, there's no, absolutely well, no feel, difference then whatsoever. Then I feel better. There's no difference whatsoever between those two shows. Okay. And if you watch one of them, then you've already watched both of them. If you haven't I've seen, just offended everybody there. <laughs> if you haven't seen Jenny Nicholson's, like, epic, like, feature-length breakdown of the Vampire Diaries <laughs> as a show, that is a great way to kill an afternoon. That is hilarious, and really, I learned so much about the Vampire Diaries that I really didn't need to know, but I enjoyed every single second. A lot, of, a lot of cognitive space. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what's more about Scream is, and they've repeated the twist of Scream in the subsequent mm-hmm. sequels, which is kind of unfortunate because now you just see it coming. Yeah. But uh, there's a twist about the killer, and I'm not going to reveal what it is. Mm-hmm. It's pretty well known at this point. But, but it was damn clever at the time. It, it was really clever at the time, It was, yeah. and it's one of those things that you couldn't really quite see. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't really quite see coming. And uh, they even... They even kind of faked you out in one scene. Mm. It's like, oh, I think it might be that guy. Oh no, something <laughs> happened where maybe it couldn't be that guy. And, and well, that's it, the thing. I was I was trying to. Mm. This is this is one of those movies where I was following along, and every single observation I made about who, like, okay, well, this person was in the room when the killer was there, so it can't possibly be them. And this person said this, and so on and so forth. I'm trying to pay attention to all the clues because I was told it was a good murder mystery. Like I saw it like a week after it came out, and it hadn't been spoiled yet because social media didn't exist. Um, and I'm watching it, and I realized that this movie played completely fair, mm. but it was playing 3D chess, and I was just playing regular old chess. <laughs> and it was really fucking clever. And it's a great murder. In addition to being a great slasher, and this being a great meta commentary, the mystery works. And once you know who done it, and you rewatch the movie, and you kind of watch it from their perspective, and you see like I'm, I'm using neutral, mm. so you don't, I'm not, so I don't yeah. know who it is, but like. Like once you like listen to their dialogue like throughout the movie and you realize every single thing made sense, <laughs> every fucking thing. That is a very yeah, clever yeah. script. That is a very well done mm. script. That movie fucking rules. Um, my next pick is the one that I think more than any other kind of pushes the definition of okay. murder mystery here because it's very much structured like a murder mystery, but it's not 
so much a who killed this person mm. as it is why am I going to kill this person? Ooh. And that is Steven Spielberg's Minority Report. Ooh, that's a good choice. That's a clever, interesting film. It's based on a Philip K. Dick story. Mm. Uh, Tom Cruise stars as the future in Washington, D.C. Uh, there is a program called the Precog Program. Uh, I think this might be called something more complicated in the, in the film. But in, in, No, the, the Precog, they call them Precogs. Right, but the, 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 the actual... In the actual I, th like, I think it, they, call it, they call it the, the Future Crime Division. Yeah, it's like Future Crime Division. So basically the idea is this. There are no more murders because... They've there are now psychics who who uh, predict every murder before they happen. Uh, three psychics who they keep in like a tank in this like sort of like weird, isolation tank. Yeah, this yeah. weird sort of fugue state, and they have these. Their brains are wired into these computers, which reveal the future of violent crimes. Yeah, but so, and just violent crimes. That's all they can see. Yeah, that's so, part of the rules of this universe. And there's two kinds. There's premeditated, which show up like a few days ahead of time, and now that this division exists, there are almost none of those. Mm. And then there are crimes of passion, which basically they get these visions and uh, Tom Cruise plays a character who has to decipher the visions to figure out who is going to be killed. And well, they have to, they with, only like, have with like a half hour to go. They only have, they, yeah, there's like a 30 minutes to figure out where it's going to take place, who those people are. Cause they only have like a video mm -hmm. image essentially. Yeah. And, uh, the makers of the film worked with like futurists, mm -hmm. professional predictors, who uh, who tried to figure out what technology is going to look like. And uh, golly, it turns out a lot of that's come true. A lot of it has, this actually. This idea yeah. of the, you know, the, the floating panels in the air and like moving your, waving your hands in front mm -hmm. of a, a light-up holographic panel, mm -hmm. that's all science fiction now. Yeah. And it's what they're working for in actual tech as sure. well. So yeah. that, Minority Report was one of the first to do that. And he but, has to sort of manipulate these images. Minority Report was the first time I'd seen in a movie or anywhere, really, uh, the idea of targeted digital online marketing where because everyone <laughs> address you by name everyone's yeah. got like a chip or something like that so like when you're walking around everyone sees the same like billboards but the billboards are distinct to you yeah so they say oh hi mr anderton how mm. you doing you want to buy another pair of those socks like that kind of thing mm. that's just what google does now it's very very cool in that regard but the plot of the movie is Tom Cruise uh, is his. He's the top dog. He's the one who solves the most mm. crimes before they happen, uh, and uh, all of a sudden they get a prediction for a premeditated crime, and it looks like he's going to do it, and he doesn't know what the hell is going on because he's not planning to kill anybody. So he ends up going on the lam in a very Hitchcocky and the fugitive way. But now there are like the cops have jetpacks and shit. And uh, he ends up kidnapping one of the precogs to try to figure out, like, why the future says he's going to kill somebody when he knows he isn't. Or is he? <laughs> Incredibly clever, this movie. I like the way that it handles... It, it acknowledges that this is... We've created a new technology, and we're going to find a way to tell an exciting murder mystery around this plot. Uh, but it also acknowledges that it's fundamentally fucked up. Mm. Because ultimately, you are incarcerating people for crimes that they technically didn't commit. Yeah. You say they were going to, you can't prove that. So what are we doing here? It's actually like a really complicated and morally sketchy universe and, that and is very well thought out in every regard. And, and here's what's really kind of uh, particularly dark about Minority Report is the ultimate solution is that the system isn't the problem. Mm. That everything about this sort of prediction system turns out to be true. Yeah, it works. It's, it's how we've it's how we've handled it that becomes a little bit more. So it's not about mm. we need to dismantle the system because it is flawed. 
And yeah. they they keep on saying throughout the movie, we're looking for flaws in the system. What are the flaws in the system? And by the end of the movie, they haven't found flaws well, in the system. They ha- if people, if They've you just know, found if, if people, cleverer people. Yeah, they found, they found like ways to get... Clever people yeah, have found yeah. a way to get around it, but you, the you system largely an, works. You build an idiot yeah. products, they build a better idiot, that kind of thing. Exactly. So it's it deals with some tricky issues. Some people, and without for people who haven't seen it yet, I, I'm going to try to be as vague as possible. Some people think this is one of those movies that should have ended before it did. Some people say, like, oh, you know that scene where Tom Cruise does this? That should have just been the ending of the movie. It should have cut to the credits. And I'm going to say this right now. I disagree with that completely because if that happened, oh, no. No, no, no. because if that happened, there would be like a dozen dangling plot threads that you'd be mad about instead. Yeah. You need the back act of this movie to actually resolve the plot because otherwise nothing is resolved. Yeah. It feels like it's resolved, but it's not. And it's actually cleverer than that. Mm. Um, Minority Report is an is one of it's interesting because I think everyone likes it, but it's not generally considered one of Spielberg's very best. But I think it should be. It is one of his very best. I think it is. I think it's at least it's, top ten. It's really I good. Like, I feel like um, the the turning point in uh, Spielberg Spielberg's career when he went from being um, respected blockbuster director, uh, then he made Schindler's List. He won a bunch of Oscars yeah. for that. But he when made some serious films before that, and, but yeah, they never really connected the way Schindler's he, List he, did. Yeah, in the, in the uh, mid-90s, he made Amistad, which mm. is you know, clunky melodrama. And before that, he made Empire of the yeah. Sun and The Color so, Purple. And... I think, like, stylistically, though, when he sort of matured as a filmmaker was with AI, when he was trying to uh, sort of yeah. complete a uh, Kubrick project yeah. and made it... Uh, he stepped, weird, he stepped out sort of, of the narrative box. Yeah, this sort of, like, weird Spielberg-Kubrick hybrid. Yeah movie it's a very odd film it's fascinating i don't think it's a great movie but i, I think it's really great to watch yeah um and minority report was the first film he made after ai and you could tell that something had really changed about him as a filmmaker yeah he didn't feel it, it he doesn't seem as constricted by audience expectation anymore yeah, and he's much yeah. more willing to play and he seems to have a lot more <laughs> confidence that he can mess with genre and format mm. um yeah, Minority Report kicks ass. So uh, what, what's your next yeah. pick? We should move on. Oh, uh, what is my next pick? I don't know. What do I want to talk about? I don't have really a science fiction movie. That's okay. I think that was my only one. Yeah, that was my only one. This this one might be a little bit of an exception because there's a death in it and there's a mystery in it, but it's unclear as to whether or not this is a murder mystery. It's more more than anything, it is just a mystery. Okay. And it's Michael Haneke's cachet. Uh, because that's 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 riding the line, but I'll let you have it. it okay, thank you. Uh, yeah, um, great movie. Michael Haneke's Cachet um, is about what happens when you're being filmed, mm-hmm. not by anyone necessarily, mm-hmm. not to any purpose necessarily, mm-hmm. just when you know you're being filmed. Weirdly enough, it has the exact same setup as David Lynch's Lost Highway. It's about a couple yeah, yeah. who are like they, they seem to be doing okay, but their marriage might not be as solidified as you might think. And all of a sudden, they start receiving VHS tapes on their on their doorstep, doorstep yeah. every morning, and the VHS steps are just. Of the video of their house, the exterior of their house. And that's it. There's nothing. There's no note. No nothing. They just know someone is watching us and trying to figure out why is someone watching me. They start to think to themselves, "What did we do wrong?" And, uh, and when uh, you start uh, thinking the, about that, you'll find something. Yeah, the, and the main character of that film, he starts to go off on this investigation because he he knows he has done something. Wrong. He knows he's he and knows you know he what? has some real skeletons in his closet. We you know? all feel guilty about something. Yeah, you we, we've you, done and, or and said if you something don't, in your past. If you don't live a little. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're if you're young and if I haven't anything wrong yet, you'll fuck something up eventually, I assure you. It'll come when you least expect it. 
there will come a day when you have something you're ashamed of. Yeah, you you yeah. said or you did something you're really guilty. And it's, feel, it's, it's not necessarily a horrible crime. It's no, just something to feel, feel bad you about. Feel you feel know? really guilty about it. Yeah. And so this guy's like, wait a minute, there's a, there was a lot that. In fact, I'm pretty sure there was this one thing yeah. in my past, and he goes to investigate, and that goes in, real bad. It goes real, like it inspires violence. Yeah, it, it and, escalates really badly. Yeah, and uh, and and even at that point, we're still not 100 percent sure what the past was. Yeah, it, this is almost like a a, a Claire Denis film, mm-hmm. and that it's like really obfuscating what happened and really not yep. giving you any information. Uh, but it's Michael Haneke, so it's also super fucking nihilistic. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's bleak, yeah. Uh, and and the tapes continue to come, and that's the yeah. thing. It's like, well, there's this violence. Why are we getting a tape? Who the fuck is filming us? <laughs> and it's driving him insane. Yeah. Uh, and the final shot of the movie is just one of the tapes again. No, uh, no, 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 no. no. Or, it, well, or is it? Or is it? I, I will say uh, this. Cache has one of my favorite final shots in movie history yeah. because... It's, the giving, ans- it's giving you clues right the ans- there. The, the answers like, are, the are there, but you got to know what to look for. Yeah. You have to know what to look for. And if you don't know what to look for, you won't see it. You're going to miss it. It's so fucking clever, that wow. last shot. That's brilliant. <laughs> um, Cache is an interesting choice for this because it's mm. technically not like... A murder mystery doesn't keep it going, but a mystery does end up involving murder, and so yeah, it's a little. Yeah. It's a, well, but it's, it feels it's, like it's, it's of a like, piece. It's, you know? it's like a, a backward constructed mystery. Yeah, it's not like bit, yeah. we, we found a body and now let's find out who it is. It's more like it's mm. it's like the killer is suddenly like realizes they're being investigated years after the fact, yeah, and, and like are just getting in on what the investigator no, no, is doing, and we never get to see the investigator. There, there's a number of films that were kind of hit my like kind of button yeah. that I couldn't quite bring myself to put on here, like um, the original The Vanishing, oh, there which, you go. which is yeah. which is really as far as we know for most of it is about a kidnapping. So like, really, is it really a murder mystery movie? That I, kind of thing. I would have let you have. I would have let me have it too, but like I decided not to yeah. just because. But that the original. Don't see the Hollywood remake. It's crap. Same, the, same the, director, but see the original. Yeah, they, they, they Hollywooded that ending up. Yeah, it's like it's, a cartoon. It's like a joke in terms of like how much of a mega happy ending they I added onto that thing because that ending is perfect and, in the original. I, I don't know what the hell Jeff Bridges was doing. In that I movie. kind of appreciate what Jeff Bridges he, is like, doing. He, he's he made, at least he, trying. He made up an accent. I know. <laughs> I don't know where he's supposed to be from. It's, it's like it's like he stole it from uh, Spencer Tracy and Captain's Courageous or something. Um, but um, in any case. Cache kills. Mm. Cache is a really creepy mystery, yeah, and it's a very mature yeah. mystery. It's not full of incident. It's not trying to grab you. It's not like Knives Out or Scream where they dangle your keys in front of you. Like, ooh, here's something fun for a little bit. Okay, cool. You got to pay attention. But it is a really excellent mature mystery. And on that note, um, one of my favorite mystery movies, and indeed one of my favorite movies of the 1990s, oh. is a film from John Sayles mm-hmm. called Lone Star. Oh, Lone Star is good. Lone Star is great. Yeah. Holy like Lone shit, Star. Lone Star. Uh, Lone Star. Are, I, I haven't seen every single John Sayles movie, but it's the best one I've seen. I'm not saying something. Mm. Uh, Lone Star stars Chris Cooper at a time when he wasn't so much of a like a familiar face he, he, as he, he is was, now. He was a rising star. He was a rising star. He started a little older than some, but like, you know. Mm. Uh, it stars Chris Cooper. Uh, Chris Cooper uh, is the son of of a legendary lawmaker in a border town between uh, uh, Texas and Mexico. Yeah, who is played by Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, his father is Matthew McConaughey in flashbacks. This is an early role for Matthew McConaughey. It's a really good role for Matthew McConaughey, even though he's not in it very much. 
Chris Cooper is now the sheriff and everyone says he can't live up to his father's legacy. And then what happens is somewhere in the desert, someone digs up a skeleton of Matthew McConaughey's predecessor, a sheriff played by Chris Christopherson, who is notoriously corrupt. And now Chris Cooper is in a position to investigate that murder and find out if his father did it. And if he did, is he comfortable sullying his legacy, even though personally... He hated the guy. <laughs> the guy was actually like a real detriment to him. He never felt like he could live up to his father's uh, shadow. His father was apparently like a, a, a serious racist who kept him from, uh, kept Chris Cooper from being with the love of his life, played by Elizabeth Pena, uh, who was wonderful in this movie. I miss her so much. She was one of the greats. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's a generational mystery. He's got to solve a crime from many decades ago. Involving his personal life. And meanwhile, we are getting a really in-depth look into every single facet of this border town. From local politics, to education, to, uh, you know, an entire system of racism. Uh, and, um, shit, it's good. It's got <laughs> Francis McDormand in it. It's got Joe Morton in it. Uh, it's, it's such a rich text. It feels like there isn't a single line of dialogue or piece of action in this movie mm -hmm. that is in there by chance. Everything everything feels like it's either connected directly to the story, directly to the themes, and usually both. It really blossoms every single time you watch it. And when you watch it and you realize, okay, I see now there was this mystery. I didn't even know that was a mystery, and now that's been revealed as well. And when you rewatch it, you see it an entirely different level. Um, they just don't make enough movies like this. <laughs> they just don't this yeah, is an exceptionally uh, uh brilliant screenplay mm -hmm. plays great as a drama plays great as a mystery well, what, there's a lot of really subtle uh, but very excellent filmmaking tricks i, I was gonna say yeah. i think it functions best as a character piece mm -hmm. uh where the mystery is you know about sort of living down the legacy and you know figuring out what happened and how these things are sort of echoing through history but yeah. i think it's about chris cooper yeah. And how that affects him personally and his own relationship with the law. Um, and that that's why I like Lone Star. Yeah. I, I think because of the way it affects the people in it. Uh, yeah. the, the mystery is actually... Uh, like, what, the actual gist of the mystery is this mm -hmm. sort of, like, echoes of corruption that have sort of been leaking down through generations. Yeah. Is actually pretty, like, pretty early, revealed early on. More uh, or less, yeah. Like, it's not like this big shocker at the end, and it turns it, out it's, he was this guy. It's you know, an it's, inciting incident, mm -hmm. but it's not really pushing the story forward the way you would often expect a murder mystery to. Yeah. But without that murder mystery, there wouldn't be this kind of interrogation and self-interrogation that leads mm -hmm. multiple characters to a different, very different place at the end of the film. Yeah. Uh, and um, it's, it's almost like... Um, Somewhat more zen and thoughtful Twin Peaks in that regard. Oh, the town gets <laughs> upended yeah. by the sudden revelation of, mm -hmm. of evil within, uh, but it comes to a more contemplative place. Um, it was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. I think it should have won. Um, please see this movie. It's so mm -hmm. fucking good. I really, if you've never seen it, I think you're really going to love it. Yeah. It's, it's excellent and it doesn't get talked about enough. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I, I have another film from the 90s. Ooh. Uh, also, one of my favorite films from the '90s, I think. Oh, what you um, it's uh, it's L.A. Confidential. Okay, uh, yeah. Uh, which uh, it, difficult to recommend because one of the the main characters is played by a sex criminal. But yeah, you know, that's that's doesn't change the wittiness of the screenplay at the very least. No, uh, no, no. I mean, like, we we can't. It's it's 
your your decision as to how much the whole movie is sullied because of the actions of one of the actors mm. is up to you. And if they, you decide you can't watch it, fair. Yeah. But a lot of people did really amazing work on that besides yeah. that one asshole. Yeah, so true. it's still a good movie, I would yeah. argue, overall. But, it's, yeah, you put an asterisk next to it. Yeah, so I'll put an asterisk next yeah. to it. We're, we're talking about Kevin Spacey, by the way. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's a three-hander. takes place in Los Angeles in the 1950s right after the real-life apprehension of Mickey Cohen, yeah. who's a real-life gangster. And, which, um, led a, uh, which led a... Which left a power vacuum in, in organized crime, organized in, Los crime Angeles. in Los Angeles. Yeah. And uh, the, the the book that this is based on by James Elroy and the movie is mm-hmm. about who who is sort of sneaking in to fill that power vacuum. Yeah. And uh, it's a three-hander between three different cops who throughout the who never team up. Not uh, all not, three of not them. Not all no. three of them. Pa- never they pair once. off occasionally, yeah. but they never team up, which is yeah, it's really, I, really I think clever. Kind of, kind of a yeah, it's sort of sort of subversion of what you think was gonna happen. Yeah. Because uh, uh, we have the main character is Ed Exley, who's played by Guy Pierce. Mm-hmm. He's the one who gets the most screen time, and he's the one who's trying to do things by the book. He's uh, the young idealist, but yeah, he's also a glory hound, and he really he, wants... He likes the publicity. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, wants, he, wants to be, he wants to do the right thing the right way and get all the credit for it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so he, that's his sin. And, yeah. when he's, and when he sees corruption, he's like, oh, well, these cops are corrupt. And of course, that makes the cops all pissed off because they're all corrupt. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the other one is uh, Bud White, played by Russell Crowe, and he's he's the thug. He's just gonna beat people up. Yeah, he's not even gonna arrest you. He's just gonna break into your house no. and punch you if he sees you committing a crime. Yeah. Allegedly, he was offered the role of Wolverine based on this performance, mm-hmm. and he decided it was too close to the role he played in LA Confidential. It's, yeah, it's a very Wolverine type yeah. of role. Yeah, um, well, just, that, just tough guy with a with a with a past. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I love Hugh Jackman in that role. He would have been a good Wolverine. Though. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and the third is uh, Jack Vincennes, and he's the Kevin Spacey character. Yeah, and he's and the he's the uh, he's uh, he's a um, he's, it he's a consultant, consultant on their version on, of Dragnet. Yeah, it's it's called yeah. a badge of honor. It's clearly just Dragnet. Yeah, though. And, yeah but he's, he's the Hollywood cop, and what he does is he arrests big movie stars yeah, and, and, he's, and sells the and sells the information. I'm going to be busting Robert Mitchum this weekend yeah, to yeah, tabloids. He, he works with a tabloid author. The, the tabloid author is also the uh, the narrator of the film. That's um, played by Danny uh, DeVito. Sid Hudgens is the name of the yeah. character. It's played by Danny DeVito. I think Danny DeVito's a little miscast in the movie. That's like sort of the only ca- uh, I think he's doing a bad great, casting in it, but he, he's playing it fine. And uh, there's a big murder. There's this big slaughter at a local diner like mm-hmm. where many, many people are killed. And now we have to figure out who the victims were, mm-hmm. what their connection was to this diner, and who mm-hmm. was going in there to kill them and why they're killed. It's very... It's, unbelievably complicated actually yes, it is. Yeah. because we have three different cops who are working on three different mysteries that don't seem to be connected at all and if you and if you if you're impressed by how complicated the movie is mm. i highly recommend you read the book and see just how much more complicated the book is <laughs> and how nearly impossible an adaptation that movie is like yeah, that is the, that that movie works at all is a fucking miracle yeah. because they cut out they cut out subplots about like Walt Disney's serial killer secret son. Oh my god! <laughs> they cut out. Oh, they cut out like a train action mm. sequence. The final shootout in LA Confidential was the first scene in the book chronologically. Oh they god. changed so much <laughs> to make that thing work as a movie. They earned that Oscar. Yeah, it, they it, earned it, that. It won an Academy Oscar. Award Holy for screenplay. Yeah, it, it's yeah. really one of the better screenplays. Just in yeah. terms of telling a really labyrinthine story that you can follow. You can kind of wrap your head around it after a while. Yeah. I think maybe it took me two or three watchings to get my head around it, mm-hmm. but I was drawn, I kept on being uh, pulled back in. Uh, it's well, also a very, it is called LA Confidential, so it's a very good LA movie. Yeah. There's a lot of good LA sets. It involves things that are Los Angeles. There's a, um, a whole subplot about uh, sex workers who ha- have plastic surgery to look like movie stars. Yeah. Uh, isn't that a symbol? That's, and, a, that's uh, a great LA. Kim, yeah, Kim Basinger conceit, yeah. won an Academy Award for uh, for 
playing a sex worker who's sex worker. who allegedly looks like Veronica Lake. I don't see it. It's the hair more than anything. They, he's got yeah. the hair. She doesn't look like Veronica Lake. I'm you know, sorry, if, I've never if, bought that. If you're gonna choose anybody, uh, like any actress from the 1990s, to who looks kind of like Veronica Lake, you choose Kim Basinger. <sighs> maybe there were like some other lookalikes. Kidman, maybe. Uh, Kidman, maybe. Kidman had the Veronica they, Lake hairstyle in Batman Forever already. Yeah, which yeah, was two blonde, years before. Yeah, yeah. I, if they did, if they did Kidman, they, they would just say, "Oh, you're just doing the, the Batman." Re- Batman well, whatever. And my point is, my point is this: it's a little forced, but whatever. Uh, um, there is a. She's great in it, though. She's great in that movie. There is a truly hilarious scene. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in, in, in a bar where, um, again, this is another real figure. Uh, Joey Stumpinato. Johnny Stumpinato. Johnny Stumpinato yeah. uh, was uh, one of Mickey Cohen's uh, like lieutenants. Yeah, and he's out in a in a bar uh, with with uh, on a date with yeah. a, uh, with a young woman, and. She looks a lot like uh, Lana Turner. A lot like Lana Turner. Yeah, very famous movie and, star Lana and Turner. The, one of and the subplots is sex workers who have plastic surgery to look like movie stars. So, so like, the cops get in, confused. So yeah, and Exley's like leaning in. I'm not going to treat you well just because you look like Lana Turner. She is Lana Turner. I'm sorry. What? Oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, but it's just the way scene. it's staged and yeah. the, the delivery of that whole scene is yeah. really really wonderful. Uh, Again, asterisk because yeah. you're going to have to look at uh, you know look at a creep, a sex yeah, look criminal, at a creep. But, uh, but yeah, but if if you sort of are are if you're able to do that, yeah. and, and if you're able to sort of make your way through the screenplay, you'll find a pretty brilliantly written piece of work. Nicely done. Um, I, I don't want the presence of that creep to distract from the talents of the screenwriter. So right. uh, that, that's that's all that's all I want to say about that. No, that's totally fair. Um, Let's see, where to go from there? Uh, all right, I'm going to go with a... Since you were just going through like a sort of an old Hollywood mm. uh, kind of vibe, I'm going uh, to go with an old Hollywood film. We've had a lot of contemporary cinema. Uh, let's pick one of the great murder mysteries of yore. Mm. Let's talk about Otto Preminger's Laura. Oh, I like Laura. Laura kicks ass. Yeah. Uh, Laura stars uh, Dana Stevens uh, from Best Years of Our Lives. Uh, as a detective who was investigating, uh, at the beginning of the movie, a woman's already dead. Her name is Laura. Everyone around her loved her. Everyone around her was obsessed with her. And perhaps everyone around her had a motive to kill her. And he is trying to figure out who killed this mysterious Laura person who was beautiful mm. and mysterious and alluring. And her painting keeps looking at him every time he's at the crime scene. And by halfway through the movie, he's deeply in love with the dead woman. <laughs> It's pretty good, right? Yeah, it's a really, really great twist. Um, it's not Laura Palmer, is it? Uh, it was directly. No. It was the yeah, direct inspiration for Twin Peaks, actually. Yeah, no, it definitely was. Uh, several different. When you watch the movie, you'll see like several elements of this movie very, very carefully uh, uh, integrated into Twin Peaks. The uh, the minor bird, mm-hmm. who's a major uh, plot point in the first season of Twin Peaks, is named after one of the characters in Laura. Laura Palmer is obviously named, named after, after one of the Laura, characters yeah. in Laura. The uh, uh, painting of Laura that's so significant is played very much like that one. Uh, high school portrait of Laura Palmer that is gets a lot of close-ups throughout the series. Um, it's tricky to talk about Laura because Laura has a lot of twists that occur pretty early in the movie, and I don't want to ruin them for you. Mm. So it's difficult for me to talk about the business, to talk about the nuts and bolts of it. Um, in many respects, there's a lot of straightforward murder mystery hooey here, where a detective goes around and talks to a whole bunch of different people about what they had for dinner that night and did you really go to the theater and were you really interested in Laura were you only interested in their money or all that kind of crap all that stuff is beautifully handled it's got a great cast Vincent Price plays the uh, the young heartthrob <laughs> which is kind of fun apparently 
he had a musical number in an early cut of the film where he actually like played a song at the piano and the studio was ready to like start a movie a music career for him because he was quite good and then they cut it from the movie and that never happened and that's <laughs> kind of sad but mm. whatever Vincent Price had a good run um, Vincent Price plays like the hapless sexy boob who may or may not be the killer or he might just be the arm candy that Laura enjoyed mm. uh, there's a character who's based very clearly off of famous uh, uh, wit and uh, uh, columnist Alexander Wolcott uh, who is coded up and down <laughs> as far as you could go. Uh, but uh, was never, how really? I don't think I caught it. Yeah, but it was nevertheless uh, 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 very richly re- uh, defined as a character. Um, and then, of course, there's Jean Tierney, who plays Laura in flashbacks. And boy, does she have an air about her. Mm. She just really understands, like... It's, it's fascinating how difficult it is to play a character that other people project on. yeah. Because ultimately, is she really what anyone wants her to be? Mm. We don't really get to see her perspective that often. Yeah. So this is a movie about obsession, but it's about obsession for someone who the people who are obsessed with her never really knew her. And the only person who's trying to know her is only knowing her after she died. Yeah, there's, that's a big element of that. One of the elements I like about that movie, The Big Sick. Yeah, uh, where oh, it's that about, movie's yeah, great, yeah. About a, a, a young man who is sort of like, projecting a lot onto one who is in a coma mm. and isn't having any interaction with him whatsoever. Like he, he, she comes to represent something bigger about him. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, anyway, Laura, I, I it's, it's frustrating cause I want to talk more about Laura, but yeah. again, so much of it, uh, is, yeah, don't, uh, don't give away Laura. But, it, yeah. There's too many, there's too much good stuff in it. If you've never seen it, Mm. you should see it. And if you have seen it, you know exactly what I'm trying to preserve. Mm. So it doesn't go where you expect it to go. It's wonderfully masterfully handled. Otto Preminger was a wonderfully eccentric filmmaker who knew how to sell something uh, very directly while also having a lot of fun, making it very witty in a way that was very atypical of the era. Um, It's worth checking out. If you haven't Mm. seen it, please do. What's your next pick? Um, uh, well, I, I have to sort of like backtrack a little bit back to Valley Confidential because a uh, lot of the great murder, a lot of sort of the great hard-boiled stories, mm-hmm. and you can thank uh, you know, the great hard-boiled uh, detective novelists of the right. time, uh, take place in L.A. Mm. L.A. is the uh, town where murder takes place. And uh, a lot of, uh, and, you know, I'm an L.A. native, so I like stories about Los Angeles in mm-hmm. the past and murder mysteries about Los Angeles. I like showbiz murder mysteries. Uh, one of the best showbiz murder mysteries involves the death of a studio head at the hands of a cartoon. Oh, uh, my God. It's Who Framed Roger Rabbit of by Robert Zemeckis from of 1988. Course. Um, of course. I thought about it. I couldn't bring myself to do it, but I thought about it. Who Framed Roger Rabbit is dazzling. It is. It's also a darn good noir. I just, the mystery is the least interesting part about it for me. <laughs> I suppose so. Well, you're, you're so distracted by the special yeah. effects that you kind of are distracted by the fact that it's a pretty well-written movie as it well. It's a very well-written mm. movie. I'll give you that, yeah. But yeah, uh, it, it stars Roger Rabbit, this cartoon mm. character. Mm. Uh, 2D animated. Yeah, 2D animated, and the conceit of the world is that uh, cartoon stars are actual actors that you hire to star in these cartoon shows. Just part of the studio system, uh, they, yeah. They look like 2D, draw- 2D drawn animated cartoons, but they walk out into the 3D world and they interact mm. with human beings. And they have... Uh, and... It's all, and they're separated by by race essentially. It's, it's mm. this big sort of racism metaphor. Yeah, they're segregated uh, in their yeah, own so, community. So yeah, that, town, like, yeah, like there's toon bars and you know, that you know he, only humans are allowed to go in, but toon is toons are the performers. Yeah, uh, yeah, they have their own. Yeah, this sort of like slum toontown where they where they all live, and it's 
and the plot of the movie is the fate of Toontown and is is the is it going to be bulldozed in order to make room for a freeway? Yeah, uh, that's that's one of the central conceptions. Which is a, which is a very it's romantic a, notion: the idea of we're literally paving over Hollywood history yeah, and yeah. culture in order to basically so just it's, make it's, it it's more a, of a it's, it's a yeah. metaphor for uh, racism in uh, real estate practices. Yeah, but yeah, it's also a metaphor for what you just said about uh, trying to over pave over uh, all of these uh, classic cartoon characters. It takes place mm-hmm. in uh, the late forties. Uh, the main detective, Eddie Valiant, who's played by Bob Hoskins, uh, who is one of the greats. I love Bob what, Hoskins what so a, much. You would never, if you were to make this movie today, mm. the odds of them getting an actor like Bob Hoskins, they would get like some like this famous, mi- they like get Chris s- Pratt or something, or Andy yeah, like, Samberg. A, a, or, no, it would have been Bradley Cooper. So something been, like that. Like, just so, some big, big star. It's like, like they got a, a the fallen, best actor. A fallen alcoholic, yeah. but you know, still handsome. It's like Bob Hoskins Bob was Hos- not, this is the movie that made Bob Hoskins a household name. He was yeah. not a household name. He'd done some great British films, but he yeah, was not like, a household name. He, like Mona Lisa wasn't yeah. setting the world on fire. It was. A, it was. That's an. Inter- they knew, and I think they were wise enough to do so, that the star is Roger Rabbit, mm. and that's who people will come to see and is the, the interaction between humanity and cartoons in a way that a, is more. Yeah, it's been done, but like never this ambitiously. And here's a little, uh, a little yeah. bit of uh, synergy with my list because uh, Roger Rabbit is played by an actor named Richard Fleischer. There you go. Who was in Zodiac? <laughs> yes, yes, he was. Uh, but yeah, uh, Roger Rabbit is this uh, movie star who, um, he's not aware of it, but, uh, Mar- uh, it's, uh, RK Maroon who runs yeah. Maroon Cartoons. He, he's, uh, Leon Schlesinger, um, has word that his wife, Jessica Rabbit, who is also a cartoon, uh, and is voiced by, uh, Kathleen Turner and looks like Lana Turner. She's yeah. like this, this sort of like statuesque, uh, Tex Avery mm. super babe. Yeah. Um, she's, I'm not she's bad, had, I'm just drawn that yeah, way. Yeah, I'm not bad, I'm just drawn that way. And um, she's been having an affair with uh, Marvin Acme of the Acme Cartoon Company, like yeah. the ones you see in the the, the uh, Wiley Coyote cartoons. If yeah. you know cartoon history, this thing is peppered with references oh, that yeah. only you will get. And the detective who's fallen on hard times is hired to find proof of this affair just so uh, he can sort of get Roger Rabbit to focus on his work more and not worry about his marriage that's falling apart. It's, it's fallen apart. Mm-hmm. You're gone. You're done. Move on. Now get back to work and work in my cartoon shorts. Right. That of course leads to some sort of jealous murder where, uh, mm-hmm. Marvin Acme is killed. Yeah. They drop a safe on his head. That is cartoon murder right there, but it's a real person. So what do you do when a what do you do when a cartoon murders a human being? And there's yeah. you know, Eddie Valiant now has to figure this out along with, Sort of this rival detective who's out there to essentially execute Roger Rabbit, yeah, Judge Doom, Judge Doom, who's, who's found the only way to Lloyd. He's found the only way to kill tunes, and it's great when they talk about like <clears throat> calls it the dip. It's this mysterious chemical, and when they list out all of the uh, all the ingredients, it's paint thinner. It's paint thinner. Yeah, <laughs> it's not paint thinner. It's, like, it's, it's great like turpentine great. and benzene. He calls it the dip. It's just paint thinner. It's paint thinner. And, they dip, and they dip this ink creation. Oh my into, god! Into it. They 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 kill this one anthropomorphic shoe, <laughs> and I was so horrified. Yeah. I saw this movie whenever this movie came out. When I was like eighty eight. Yeah. I saw this movie when I was six, and that terrified the shit out of me. I was so. I wanted to kill Judge well, there's, Doom there's a, for that shit. That even even if even if hmm. you can say like oh he's executing criminals, that shoe did nothing to him. No, it's just that a shoe. shoe did not. How do you well, you fuck? 
fucking monster. It's anthropomorphic, but you know, it's unclear yeah. as to whether or not it's like a living being. Or it's just a scared. Prop. It's, it's, it's frightened. Yeah. It doesn't want to go in there. It's terrifying. You know, it's a, it's anthropomorphic. No, that's bullshit. How dare yeah, you? The, how dare you defend Judge Doom? <laughs> <laughs> but the special effects to make this movie, Zemeckis went yeah. well out of his way to make mm-hmm. these things really, really convincing. So people are interacting mm-hmm. with cartoons in ways that you had never seen in films before, yeah. or really since. I get you know there was a lot yeah. of acting against the tennis ball and the stick when CGI. Like when you when you look the at the but... interactivity between the characters mm-hmm. in Who Framed Roger Rabbit and the interactivity between the characters in like the new Space Jam, yeah, they're not like well, I was pushing up. Say they're not like, like pushing up LeBron fam- James's clothes or anything like yeah. that. They're like actually making sure they're going out of their way to do things that are unnecessarily complicated. Mm. The scene didn't need that. Yeah, like but a, every individual a interaction... picks up a live-action hat and throws it in someone's yeah. face. Every single day. moment that happens, and every time you do that for real on set, you are adding to the reality of this in a way that... Frankly, the relatively lazy way we usually do this now just doesn't sell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, because the effects are so impressive, it's easy to lose the story. Uh, it's, which is, my, which is the, kind of the reason why. Mm. Because for me, the murder mystery is, it's a good story. It, it reads yeah. well. It's the least interesting thing about the movie for me. Right. <laughs> Everything else about when, the movie distracts me. Once, once you're sort of past the dazzle of all of yeah. the all, awesome animation in the movie... Uh, you do get actually a, a pretty good story underneath yeah. all of that. And I think Eddie Valiant is a really great character. And I think Bob Hoskins plays him incredibly well. And uh, some of the double backs uh, are, are surprising. You know, you can't yeah. see some of the stuff coming. Sure. Uh, and the final reveal at the end, when we learn who the killer was, uh, that part scared the hell out of me. Oh yeah, there's that's some, some, there's some really shit, yeah. scary imagery in the end yeah. when, when the killer is revealed. And um, I used to be able to do the voice. I can't anymore. Oh. My voice is too high. Like, but he was like, <laughs> yeah. The, the, there's, there's, I just upset the cat. <laughs> Luca just got freaked out. Yeah, there's there's this, this freaky thing at the end that shrieks yeah. a lot. Uh, I, I don't even say what it is in case you haven't seen the movie. But yeah, uh, yeah I I really really love Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's it's one of those things that that they tried to sort of bank on its success for a little while by making uh, Roger Rabbit short cartoons. Yeah, they're, they're that they put, good too. Uh, it, it was a touchstone film, which means it's a Disney property, and mm. uh, they uh, put them before Disney films. I think um, Dick Tracy had one. I think Honey, I Blew Up the Kid had one. Did it? I, know, I thought so. I think it was... It was around that era. Yeah, uh, some other film. Um, if not like that, some, then some, some like kids are lost in the wilderness movie had one, mm. and... Uh, there were three Roger Rabbit short cartoons, yeah. and that was kind of the end of it for Roger Rabbit. And Unless they, you count the TV show Bunkers, well, which takes place in the Roger Rabbit universe. The other thing that they did was they created Toontown at Disneyland oh, there for a while, go, which yeah. I think they finally tore down. Uh, but however, the Roger Rabbit is coming back, at least in cameo form, because if you look at the trailer for the new Chip and Dale's uh, Rescue Rangers movie, the one that takes oh, place yeah, in yeah. a very Roger Rabbit universe... Mm. Uh, it probably is the exact same universe, actually, now that yeah. I think about it. Roger Rabbit does is, is in the yeah, trailer. The, the idea that cartoon characters are real and they are hired actors yeah. to appear in your thing, that uh, that took way the hell off. A lot of cartoons started doing that yeah. conceit after that. Uh, that's the whole premise of Tiny Toon Adventures. Uh-huh. It's about these young cartoons who are going to school to learn to be... They're essentially going to acting school yeah. to learn to be cartoon stars. And, yeah, Bugs Bunny is a cartoon star. And that's stuff they did in yeah. Bugs Bunny cartoons anyway. Like, right, but now where, it's like, like his, canon. It's not just like yeah, a side gag once in that, a while. That was yeah. that was the shtick with well, the Looney Tunes live action movie that Joe Dante did. Yeah. Uh, oh, back in action. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. I like that one. And yeah, and it was the the conceit of of the TV series Bonkers, which nobody yeah. talks about because it's not good. Uh, <laughs> Bonkers is about a, a cartoon star who becomes a cop, and yeah. if they had managed to do that in live action, it might have been a more interesting show. Well, but there it, was actually but it was all animated. There was talk initially. This is off, mm-hmm. this is a side note, but. Uh, 
I heard I heard they shot this, but they never like completed it. <laughs> this might be a rumor. Uh, there was talk about doing a Pink Panther television series mm. with a guy teaming up with the animated Pink Panther to solve mysteries. That, that would have been that fun. Was, it was yeah. basically going to be a Roger Rabbit type show. It's uh, too much would, like Roger Rabbit, maybe. But maybe yeah. we never. It, it never. I don't know if it never filmed or if it never got finished or they never showed it to anybody because I heard it was really bad. Uh, but whatever, that was the idea. So they tried. Hmm. This is an attempt. Um, uh, my next pick is also, uh, um, I actually have a couple of comedies hmm. uh, uh, left and I might as well get started on those. Uh, one of which, actually I think both of them, I would put on any respectable list of the funniest movies ever made. Mm. Top 10? Maybe. I Top th- 20? I'm Definitely. Pretty sure this is on my list, too. Uh, are we talking about Clue? We're talking about Clue, yeah. Clue. <laughs> what are we talking about when we talk about Clue? We're talking about one of the best movies ever. We're um, talking about one of the best comedies ever, that's yeah. for sure. An amazing cast. Eileen Brennan, Tim Curry, Madeline Kahn, Christopher Lloyd again, uh, Michael McKean, Martin Mull, Leslie Ann Warren, Colleen Camp. Um, if you've ever played the board game Clue, or is it sometimes called Cluedo? Uh, it is a murder mystery board game in which everything takes place in a house. You walk around the house, you investigate different rooms, and the, when you're the, in the murder, very... the murder has already occurred when you start yeah. playing the game. And there are like three different cards: one for a murder weapon, one for uh, a culprit, and one for a location. And uh, you're trying to figure out, based on your investigation and based on sort of um, uh, almost a go fish kind of card game mechanic, mm. uh, who did it? And you're trying to predict who did it in order to win the game. Uh, it's one of the few board games that actually makes sense to turn into a movie. There's actually a plot. Like a story to it, like, yeah. Like, you, you tell me what the board game of Sorry would be. They, like, I don't did, fucking uh, know. They did have to bend over backwards a little for the movie because sure. the, the characters in the game have very cartoonish names. I am Colonel Mustard. I am Miss Scarlet. I am Miss White. And the, the colors match the, the little meeples you use on the board game. Sure. Uh, in uh, in the movie, they decided that those names were not their real names, but aliases. Which is fine. Uh, cleverly assigned to these characters, and they've all been... The story of the movie is that they're all being blackmailed yeah. by the off-board game victim that we never see. Yeah, Mr. Body. Mr. Mr. Uh, the cleverly named Mr. Body. Yeah, and the idea... and this and His the first I- name is Dead. And the idea is... All of them have a motive to kill this guy. Mm-hmm. Because so, they're all being blackmailed. So and so when he says, I have given everyone... Uh, uh, We're playing a game tonight, a sinister game. I've given everyone a gift. Every gift is a weapon with which you could murder me. And I'm going to turn off the lights and I dare you. I fucking dare you to kill me. The the conceit is actually that um, the butler has arranged all of this. Well, I was... And uh, and he says, well, and when I turn the lights off, you have to kill the butler. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to kill the... If you kill the butler when the lights are off, we all get to go home and everything will be... Because the butler found out about the blackmail plot, so he's like, well, he's the only other person who knows. Yeah. Kill him... I'll keep on blackmailing you, but... Your secrets are safe. Yeah, you'll still You know still you can be, trust me. I haven't yeah. revealed your secrets yet. And then he turns off the light, and then Mr. Body is killed, and they're trying to figure out who did it. And the bodies keep piling up, because like it turns out every person who works at this house is somehow murdered throughout the course of the evening. And what starts off... It's amazing how slow this movie starts. Not in a bad way. But just oh, no. in kind of like a real movie it, kind of way. It's got a good ramp up this movie. Yeah, because by like, the end it's completely frantic. Yeah, but like it starts off with just it's a it's a mystery movie. People mm. go to a house, they're figuring each other out. They don't know what's going on. They explain the plot. People die, and then once Mister Body dies, the movie just keeps escalating in comedic intensity mm. until by the end of it, every single scene is done at a sprint. Like, literally, they're running from room to room. They're just, like, every... There's so much manic energy that has been pent up that it just explodes. 
It's unbelievably hilarious. Mm. Every single performer gets great gags, especially Madeline Kahn. <laughs> this, this means this is this means nothing. She's one of the great comedic actors I mean, of all time. But there, like, there's not a dot in the bunch here. No, They're but like, I, if you ask me, Madeline Kahn steals most of the movie. But regardless, mm. everyone is wonderful in it. the The screenplay is full of witty bone mows mm. and some very silly jokes on top of that. I, I'm surprised they didn't. Maybe they did, but th- there's the cast doesn't break, and they do yeah. like really clearly improvised funny things. Oh yeah. Uh, Michael McKean falls over in rare amusing ways throughout yeah. the movie. Uh, there's a bit where Madeline Kahn is accused of something and she turns around and does a raspberry. Uh-huh. It's like, and you killed him, didn't you? <laughs> like, very insistently does this little raspberry. She clearly improvised that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm surprised the entire cast just didn't break in that I, moment. There must be so many outtakes of people yeah. just exploding into laughter because there's it's just an enormous concentration. It's like it's It's like a... It's like the center of a black hole, but for comedic talent in a good way. It's just—it's so dense with comedic talent. Yeah, yeah. Everything else just gets sucked into their comedy vortex until every fucking thing in the movie is funny. Um, and on top of it, it's a fun mystery too. Mm. There are, and the gimmick of the movie initially when it was released in theaters was it was released with multiple endings, and he didn't know which ending your theater would each, get. Yeah, each theater got a different ending. There's three different endings with three different people who are responsible for the murders, and. It's tricky because, normally speaking, you want to like play fair with the audience. But if you pay attention, all of them work. They all work. Yeah. They, all, they all make sense. They, they, made, all, they all play fair. They made it very distinctly so that there could be three endings that really play fair. They really carefully mapped out the yeah. geography of where the characters were in any given time mm. when they appear in a certain yeah. scene. So if they did a murder... They were absent for that one scene, yeah. but there's, there, it's moving so fast and there's so many characters, you might not notice. You probably but, won't. But if you've gone through this movie uh, multiple times like I have, yeah. through it with a fine-tooth tomb, you notice that they were careful with those details. This is the one. This is maybe the one movie, well, I will say, the best version to watch is home video. Because, the home video three, ver- yeah. because they give you all three. The movie just ends with, and this person did it. And then there's this incredible, like like silent movie card where it's like, that's how it could have happened. Mm. Or maybe it could have happened like this. And they give you another ending and they say, yep, that's how it also could have happened. But here's what really happened. (laughs) It's unbelievably hilarious. They get to do the exact same ending three times. And when you see them back to back, Mm. there are jokes that cascade on top of each other that are funnier. Mm. If you watch all three. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so wonderfully well thought out. The multiple endings kind of comment on each other. Oh my God, is it good? There's, uh, there's a queer character in the movie yeah. that in one of the endings is unqueered. That's unfortunate. That's a little unfortunate. Yeah, they didn't um, need to do that. Uh, but remains queer in the other two endings. True. True. Uh, which, so you which can pick I your poison. You're and, uh, not poison, but you know what I mean. You can pick, you can pick which reality you choose to believe. Yeah. 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 Uh, or, or maybe it was a queer character, like, sort of rubbing heteronormativity in people's faces if maybe. you really wanted to bend over backwards. Yeah. But uh, un- up until that moment... Just a queer character. Yep. O- openly queer character in this no. movie that was made in the mid eighties. Who yeah. is not well, not made... openly because he's being blackmailed, but in he's... this in the scenes in this it, movie, in this everyone movie, knows he's open yeah. to all the other characters. Yeah. Is my point. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, and it takes place a... in the past, by the way, when it that was more, more plausible in to the nineteen fifties. There's a, um, yeah. blackmail was known as the gay crime for a yeah. long time. Uh, it was specifically used to blackmail people about their sexuality and keep exactly. them in the closet. Yeah. Uh, and so it's actually kind of real that that would be a plot point in a, a story set in the 1950s. And uh, yeah, he he is never, apart from like one mild moment of gay panic mm-hmm. and uh, and one uh, sort of sexist joke yeah. 
his queerness has never made sort of like a moment of com- of comedy. No, like no. He's, he sits down next to a, a guy, and and the straight guy sort of gets up a, a little discomforted, but he's no. never mocked because of his sexuality. No, no, no. Like it's things like yeah. uh, there's a whole bit where there's the there's the sexy maid event mm. by Colleen Camp. Yeah, the, and the, she's like, oh, I'm so scared, and everyone's like, oh, and the metal will gather around. Like, the sexy I'll hold maid. you, oh, I'll hold you, and then Michael McKean's just like, I'm fine. Yeah, <laughs> which he would which, be. <laughs> He's 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 not again. His libido wasn't activated by that. That's a, that, that joke that's, works. That's kind of legit. Yeah. Yeah. That's an actual functioning joke there. But so like we, there, we have, there's there's a few gay panicky jokes in there which aren't great. But yeah, like for the but, most part, it works. But he he's not a stereotype, and they yeah. never mock him because of his sexuality. And I appreciate yeah. that about Clue. Uh, like once or twice, but like it's pretty. Yeah. It's it's not as pervasive as you'd think. Mm. It's, there's no there's no slurs or anything. No, right? it's it's. Not what it could be, mm. but given the era in which it is, it's not nearly it was, as it it's not in, nearly as poorly handled as you'd imagine. Yeah, it was made in 1985, yeah. and 19, I think that was the same year as Teen Wolf, mm, uh, which yeah. has like one of really? one of the like exemplars of gay panic in mainstream oh. movies. Yeah, where uh, Michael J. Fox he plays a, a kid who's a werewolf, and yeah. he's going to reveal that he's a werewolf to his best friend, and oh, he yeah. goes to his best friend, his male friend, and says, yeah. "Straight male friend," says, yeah. uh, "Well, it turns out a." Uh, I have something to say, and the the, the friend the friend's like, gross. it's so gross. He's like, you're not going to say you're gay, are you? And his, and he kind of laughs it off. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not gay. I'm a werewolf. Yeah. Fuck you, Teen Fuck Wolf. Off. Jesus. The only one that the one that there's the one that's even worse is in um, Once Bitten. There's a shower oh, sequence yeah, in Once yeah. Bitten, the, the which is horrifically really offensive. Gross. Horrifically offensive. Mm. There's and and then listen. There's a lot of great, otherwise considered mm. great comedies from the '80s that have just a couple of shitty gay jokes, mm. like uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah, has they, one they scene, one, one, one scene where they use the that, f word. Yeah. It's not cool. Um, and and yeah. you know, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves both said that we didn't, that wasn't that, cool. that wasn't cool. Like, yeah, they both yeah it, they both apologized. It was the mid mid '80s. It's just sort of like surfer mm-hmm. patois at the time. But yeah. no, that doesn't excuse it, us. It's, so. No, no excuse. They, they, it sucks. Everybody's aware of what they did and how yeah. badly that did. And you um, you get to decide how much the movie that ruins for you. Mm-hmm. And I think include they I think include they mostly get away with it. I think mm-hmm. the and and pretty much everything else in the movie is just unbelievably good. So. Uh, you know, but again, if it's mm. if that's too much for you, fair enough. I've been like rewatching a lot of Simpsons episodes. There's so much homophobic humor in The Simpsons. A lot. Yeah. I really yeah. never really I never really mainlined it. Just specifically looking for it, it's like Jesus Christ, guys. There's a lot. Mm. Really pisses me off. Um. Anyway, but we should move on. Uh, what do we got here? So I, I have I have three left. You have three left. Have, so uh, keep going. No, I think I only have two left. You, I have uh, I have ten six, through four for you. We did Zodiac, four, Murder five, on the Orient six, Express, seven, Knives eight. Out, Scream, Cachet, Ellie Confidential, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I mean, that's and, three left. And Clue. Oh, oh, you also had Clue. I also had Clue. Oh, you didn't tell me you also. I didn't. Yeah, I thought you just agreed, but okay. All right, Clue. Okay, yeah, also that's Clue. Awesome. So, all right, well then I'll move on and do another right. one then. So I have another. And the, the other comedy I have on my list. It's also one of the funniest movies ever made. It's also maybe one of the best sequels ever made. It's a shot in the dark. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, okay. Right. It's a murder mystery. I guess it's a murder mystery, yeah. sure. Uh, the Pink Panther was a big hit. Uh, it was a story about... 63, th- that movie. Yeah, it was, a, it was a theft of a uh, giant pink diamond. And, called, uh, yeah, called the Pink Panther. And allegedly, if you looked at it in the right light, you can kind of see a panther inside of it. That's why mm. there's no actual Pink Panther in the movie. Um, and well, it was all it's, about... It's in the opening animated sequences. I know, but like the actual movie itself, it's, it's, it's not about, it, the, it's panther, not about yeah. the panther at all. Um, there's no there's no like Pink Panther who's like painted pink or whatever and wandering around killing people or nothing. It's it's a metaphor. <gasps> That's the next Pink Panther movie. Should have been. You, you do the, the Blumhouse horror <laughs> reboot. Oh, God. <laughs> we have $2 million to do a Pink Panther movie. Someone get a panther. Um, anyway... It was about David Niven playing a uh, a, a rakish, roguish uh, diamond thief, 
And meanwhile, there's like a third or fifth supporting character who's a funny detective named Jacques Clouseau, played by Peter Sellers. And Peter Sellers was such the breakout character in that movie that they decided to give him his own spinoff. Mm. The same year. They rushed yeah, that thing into production. They knew what they had. Like, oh, like, shit. Within we a year, about this guy. So within the same year, they released a movie called A Shot in the Dark, which is all about his character investigating a murder. And the murder is such a, such a gimme murder. Like, the murder is like... And then, like, we, we heard a shot in the dark, and there was this person standing over the body with the gun in their hand, practically yelling that they did it. But because Jacques Luzo thinks they're hot, because they're played by Elkie Summer, they're like, nah, I'm going to investigate further. And he goes into <laughs> this incredibly elaborate, increasingly absurd uh, investigation that takes him everywhere. It takes him to nudist colonies and every kind of possible stupid gag you could possibly imagine. Until... He finally uncovers that, yeah, there actually is a way more complicated murder mystery, like absurdly complicated, that the cops never would have discovered if an idiot wasn't in charge. <laughs> Which is really damn funny. Um, Blake Edwards directed this, co-wrote the screenplay with William Peter Blatty, who wrote The Exorcist. Um Weird. Blake, Blake Edwards directed most of the Pink Panther movies. Um, it yeah. was sort of his baby, uh, and... Uh, some of the finest comedies you'll ever see, and some of the worst. Oh, yeah, some bad ones. This series went really far south. Trail of the Pink Panther and Curse of the Pink Panther are just barely watchable. Uh, Was it Trail or Curse that was sued by the Sellers Estate? Trail. Trail. Trail was made mostly with, like, unused clips from previous films in order Mm. to make a new film after Sellers had died. Curse in, is involves like a new Clouseau-type Oh, right. Was, and um, it's just not funny it, um, at all. What's his name? Ted Wass was... Uh, yeah, Ted Wass is no Peter Sellers. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, yeah, but yeah. yeah, Peter Sellers' estate sued the makers yeah. of Trail of the Pink Panther and won. It's and a movie sh- that was so bad it got taken to court. It's really fucking... The only good thing about that movie is there's a funny cameo from Roger Moore. Yeah. Like, yeah. I won't ruin it for you. If you ever get a chance to see it, he is the best part of that movie by far. Unfortunately, I mean, he's all at the end, but yeah. I mean, good cast. Like, there's some oh, yeah. fun, fun like, Joanna Lumley, they, I think, is they, in yeah, it. Yeah, they brought and, back yeah. a lot of the actors from previous movies, yeah. but it is it is but for unbearable. The most, and and, and uh, the Son of the Pink Panther is not as bad as you probably have heard, but also no, not very good. It's fine. I think yeah. it's fine. Uh, yeah. It's sort of like its own entity. It's a Roberto Benigni movie. Yeah. He plays the new character, and it yeah. is more in keeping with his type of comedies, if yeah. you're familiar with his sense of humor. Which I appreciate that they made it more of a shtick. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a fan at all of the Alan Arkin movie Inspector Clouseau. I don't no, think it works. No, it's, it's a little too bland. And it, we, completely weird, nondescript. Weirdly enough, uh, the series took sort of an upturn when they did the reboot with Steve yeah. Martin uh, because yeah. they, they turned Clouseau into a, a bumbling but actually competent detective in those movies. Yeah. He actually kind of knows they what kind he's of, doing. They kind of follow the Ace Ventura mold yeah. where he's an idiot, but that doesn't mean he's not observant. Mm. Um, and I think it works. I think especially mm. that first Pink Panther movie is quite good. Uh, most of the other Peter Sellers sequels that we didn't mention are very, very funny. Mm. But A Shot in the Dark is, by for, as far as I'm concerned, the funniest. It's the best plot I, I, of all I, of them. The script really I, works. I really like the Pink Panther Strikes Again. I that's think great. That, that one's really funny, too. I, 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 if that, you that's the one where the golf carts keep falling into the yeah, pool, and I, the one with the, he sucks up the parrot into the vacuum if, cleaner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to make the argument that Strikes Again is better, or Strikes, strikes Again or Strikes Back? Strikes Again. Yeah. If you want to make the argument that Strikes Again is better... Um, Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> For me, it's a shot in the dark. And a shot in the dark, unlike the other ones, which still, again, the jewel comes back, mm-hmm. becomes more of a point in plot point. This is a murder mystery. Yeah. And that's yeah. what the plot is here. I can't really pick 
Strikes Back because it's not a murder mystery. This is a murder mystery, and it's a very funny murder mystery. It's full of ridiculous twists and turns, and the investigation goes in completely absurd directions. Um, Herbert Lom is just the funniest person to anger. Like, you really just want to piss him off just to see what happens because he's just a delight. Um, see this movie. This movie will make you laugh. This movie is incredibly funny. It, it, it's aged rather well. Uh, and nobody knew how to do a globe gag like Peter Sellers. <laughs> every single movie, he's got a different gag with a spinning mm. globe. He's always approaches it from a new angle. It's fucking it's, hilarious. It's the, it's the first movie where he spins it and then tries to lean on it while it's spinning. And then he goes, <laughs> yeah, Great bit of physical comedy. He finds a new gag to do with it every single time. I don't know how. It's so fucking brilliant. Uh, but yeah, this movie is unbelievably brilliant and I love it to pieces. Mm. All right. Uh, I got two left. All right. Um, I, I, uh, I also have two left. Okay. Um, this one, uh, I don't know why I waited so long to mention this one, because mm. it's actually a bit of a slight film. Uh, it's, mm. it's one that's uh, one of those films that you don't really think about until you bring it up. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and it was, it's one we talked about recently. It's uh, mm. the Kevin Bacon film, A Stir of Echoes. Okay, uh, supernatural mystery, it, but yeah, that's fair. It's yeah. still a murder mystery, it though. Is, it and, is, uh, absolutely. It's a supernatural is. film, but it's a murder mystery. And like the uh, the films on my list that are about Los Angeles, this is about working-class Detroit. Uh, yeah. Very much about uh, this very close-knit working-class community in Detroit and uh, how this unspoken code of protecting one another from uh, you know, any sort of ill behavior you might have had goes very, very wrong when somebody turns up dead. And Kevin Bacon plays this kind of working-class schlub. Kevin Bacon, by the way, an excellent, excellent actor, incredibly underrated. He deserve. I know he gets a lot of awards. He deserves more. Mm. Um he plays this sort of working class schlub who goes to a party, he's drinking a lot of beers with all of his buddies, and I think it's a f the sister of a friend of his, who's played by an actress named Ileana Douglas, uh, she's studying hypnotism, and he volunteers to be hypnotized at a party. Yeah, it's a party and, trick. And he goes under at the party, and of course when he wakes up at the end of the hypnosis, everybody says, oh yeah, you were like walk walking around and saying all these weird things, we got you doing all these weird things while you are under hypnosis. In his experience... He started seeing acts of violence. Yeah. Uh, the hypnosis sequences are really, really good. This film was made by David Kep, by the way, who uh, is just a really excellent screenwriter. He does yeah. some, some really great screenplays. He, he's, he's behind, uh, or at least co-written, some of the screenplays mm -hmm. of the biggest movies ever made, like Jurassic Park and mm -hmm. Spider-Man. But he's also made a lot of really, really good genre films mm -hmm. just on his own. Yeah, he, he wrote yeah. and directed the film Premium Rush, which, you know, makes, makes him a Hollywood legend just by itself. As, as far as I'm concerned. concerned. But, uh... Uh, yeah, he he also made us. He also made Stir of Echoes, and uh, the the Kevin Bacon character begins seeing these visions when he's awake after a while, and he starts seeing uh, this young girl who lived in the neighborhood, and he comes to the conclusion that something really horrible happened to her. So he's getting supernatural clues, kind of from beyond the grave, to investigate this murder, and he is you know looking for clues, and it ends up going to yeah the sort of. Uh, uh, web of cover-up that comes from a close-knit, uh, mostly male-driven community. Mm. Uh, actor uh, Kevin Dunn is in it. Kevin Dunn is another very uh, underrated actor. He's like a, a supporting player in a mm. lot of different films. Oh, yeah. he's, he's really very talented. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was reminded of this movie when I was watching uh, the Fear Street movies, especially mm. when you learn what the Fear Street movies end up being all about right. uh, when you watch the, the third of those films about how it does do go to the sort of, like, very male-driven cover-up conspiracy mm. to keep men in sort of this dominant position and literally just kill off women. Yeah. Uh, 
it's it's really it's really scary. Yeah. It's really intriguing. Uh, Kevin Bacon gives a great performance. All yeah. it's one of those movies where all of the supporting characters have character. Yeah, they're all given sort of little bits there's of no, dialogue. There's no small bits, part yeah. in that movie. Everyone's got a complete rich character by no matter yeah. how small little screen time they have. Mm-hmm. If this movie hadn't come out one month after the Sixth Sense. I think it would have found a really yeah, big audience. Got, it stands it's still more. pretty obscure. It's a shame. It's really it's, fucking it's, good. It's like Existence yeah. followed the Matrix, you yeah. know, it's, which is also sort of this video game virtual reality yeah. world, but it's Cronenberg, or so like it's all very fleshy. Copycat and, yeah. came out right after Seven, which, mm. uh, oh, I should, I should have had that to my uh, runners-up, actually. It's really Copycat. Like, I really like Copycat. Yeah. Copycat well, rules. Um, or, or Seven. That's a murder mystery. Well. Seven's, already in, seven's already in my uh, runners-up. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, no, no, this is... Um, it was a damn good movie, actually. I actually, it didn't, it didn't occur to me. I think just because of the supernatural yeah, element. Yeah, because it, it yeah. it's more like a ghost story. Yeah, than but it is a murder but mystery. It is about but it's a murder solving mystery, yeah. a murder mystery oh. through ghost ways, <laughs> and that's fun, isn't it? Go- ghostliness, ghostliness yeah. is still investigation. So you just have your number one. I just have my number. Okay, one so left, let me just yeah. burn through my three and my two because we already did mm. uh, my number one, which was uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Um, my next pick is a film that I only discovered relatively recently. Uh, but it's really stuck with me. It is the second film directed by Academy Award-winning filmmaker Bong Joon-ho. Mm. Uh, it is a film called Memories of Murder. I haven't seen Memories, Memories of Murder. Memories of Murder is great. Yeah. Uh, Memories of Murder is uh, based on the true story of Korea's first, confirmed anyway, mm-hmm. serial killer. Uh, for about five years in the late 80s and early 90s, uh, he attacked and murdered a series of people. And it was, this movie is all about uh, a police force that is entirely unequipped to deal with this. Yeah, yeah. And they have no idea how to do it. And these are these are just run-of-the-mill shitty cops. <laughs> these are just run of, these are guys who are just like, oh, this guy probably did it. We'll beat him up until he says he did. Cool. Yeah, well, now we actually have to solve crimes with clues. And they're really fucking bad at it. And they're constantly trying to, like, manipulate evidence so that it will make their job easier in order uh-huh. to basically just get a conviction out of this and every single time it blows up completely in their faces until over the course of the film they realize that perhaps as a result of their bungling this crime might never be solved (laughs) they didn't take it seriously enough early enough and now all they've really got is a big old mess of corruption meanwhile there's a serial killer out there who is working completely unabated Mm. um it's based on a true story and the true story is Really wild when you realize that the killer eventually came forward uh, because they were already serving time for another murder. And because Korea didn't really have like serial killing on its mind when it made a lot of its laws, statute of limitations ran out on most of the murders. Oh, God. So they can do, they can do nothing about it. <laughs> Damn it. It's absolutely maddening yeah. when you think about it. But at the time this movie was made, this was still a big old question mark. And this was kind of like Zodiac in that regard. Um, but uh, this is a story very much... This is a great double feature with Zodiac. This is a story about uh, cops who are in completely over their head who are working within a system that made sense to them mm. even though it makes no sense. Jeez. And it is not conducive whatsoever to actual criminal investigation. Mm. Um, it's really haunting in a really unfortunate way because it just shows you just how broken the system is and how easy it is to be horrible in a world yeah. that doesn't care. And mm. it's so fucked up and so creepy mm. and very thoughtfully put together. And you can see, and I hadn't seen uh, Bong Joon-ho's first film, Barking Dogs Never Bite, 
But even at this like sophomore film, you can yeah. see this this is going to be one of the greats right here. Yeah, this movie's I'm, brilliant. I uh, I feel like I'm underseen on Wong Jun Ho. Yeah. I've seen his his uh, English language films. Yeah, and I'm I'm not a huge fan of uh, Snowpiercer. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen the host, which I know is like host is fun. The, the one that a lot a lot of people I, go to is it, one of his it's, best. It's, it's no best picture yeah. or anything like that, but it's I, a good monster movie. Uh, although Parasite was <laughs> sure, no, Parasite was absolutely. I, I like Parasite. I I, I feel like Parasite. Uh, I liked it up until the twist, and after that, it became mm. less interesting to me. Oh, uh, and, I, and, still I saw, works for me. and I saw his film Mother, which I think and I think Mother is. I have not seen Mother. Quite excellent. I have um, not seen so, Mother. Uh, yeah, I've, I feel like I still need to see more to, to sort of get a good uh, line yeah. on him as a director yeah uh, and yeah this is one that I, I constantly I, hear about I think you I would really like this really movie. bad that I yeah. haven't seen it's, it it's, it's bleak and bitter but it earns it mm. and is such a great procedural yeah. from people who aren't following procedure yeah <laughs> it's really incredible um, and speaking of procedurals my number this, this would be my number two if right. I had a number two um, and uh, this is a movie that I think it's better with age, even though other more popular films in the series get a little worse with age. And that's Michael Mann's Manhunter. All right. <laughs> I love me some Manhunter. Well, uh, um, okay, going to split a hair for a second. Okay. We know who the killer is at the start. No, not, not at the start. Not at the start. You don't find out until halfway through. Mm, all right. You don't find fine. out halfway through. You find out, but you do not find we, out. We spend a lot of time with that killer. You do, but, it, but yeah. it's all in the second half of the movie. All right, it's all in the second half. I was very careful picking this. All right. It's all in the second half. Uh, I think there are other adaptations where you found out much sooner, hmm. but here you don't know for the first half of the movie. Um, Manhunter is based off of Thomas Harris's first Hannibal Lecter movie when he was still a very minor supporting character. Um, yeah, the, the book was called Red Dragon. It was later adapted to. Red Dragon, directed by Brett Ratner, who's mm. also a creep. Um, that adaptation is, it's okay. I think Manhunter is more stylish and interesting. Um, William Peterson, who would go on to star in CSI, uh, plays FBI profiler Will Graham, who gets so deep into the head of serial killers that he's had to be institutionalized because he thought too much like them. Um, and he is dragged back into a consulting status because of a new serial killer called the Tooth Fairy who has been breaking into people's homes across the country and doing unspeakable things to them. Um, along the way, he decides to consult a serial killer who he had apprehended earlier, mm. played by, not Anthony Hopkins, Brian Cox. <laughs> Brian Cox is scarier. For me, Brian Cox is the scarier. Anthony Hopkins is great, don't get me wrong. Brian Cox is a terrifying Hannibal Lecter. He is so much more, he's so much less mannered. Mm-hmm. He's so much more getting under your skin. And watching their relationship evolve in Manhunter from like two guys who are like standing completely erect apart from each other, like trying to keep their distance, to like school curls like on the phone like twisting the cord of their phone around as they talk to each other like the old pals it's like really (laughs) insidious and weird um this is a movie that is about serial killer profiling at a time when that was not part of the vernacular really in cinema that would become a big part of the the cinema with uh the kind of kind of remake with uh, the Silence of the Lambs. Well, it sounds, it's, that's a sequel, more accurately. Yeah. But like, uh, yeah, and Silence of the Lambs made that major. But Manhunter was the one that really took the lid off, and yeah. uh, it was only with Silence of the Lambs people took a big swig. But um, this is a movie about getting inside a serial killer's head, and it is incredibly stylishly uh, uh, presented. Um, it's the the soundtrack is incredibly eighties, but I think it's very it's in that moody kind of drive way. Yeah, where it's not about like big pop hits like in American Psycho. This is about like atmospherics and ugh, there's so much creepy stuff here. Um, 
And yeah, you do find out who the killer is about halfway through the movie, but you also don't find out how the killer is going to get caught until the end, which is pretty mm, clever. So yeah. they still manage to keep an element of the mystery alive because you don't know how the two are going to come together or if they are. Um, William Peterson is great. The cinematography is haunting as hell. Um, and yeah, this this set the template for a lot of the procedurals that would follow, including CSI starring William Peterson. Mm. So it's kind of an important it's, movie it's, on top it, of being just really scary the, and cool. The gig on CSI yeah. was his, his appearance. Anyway, Manhood. this movie is super scary. Mm. This movie is super cool. And as much as I have reservations now about Silence of the Lands because we all know the impact that it had on, mm. on the queer community, but it's still an excellent movie in many regards. I don't have those reservations with Manhunter. Manhunter is simply yeah. brilliant. And I yeah. highly recommend if you've never sat down and watched it or if you've only seen Red Dragon, check out Manhunter. It's a different beast, but it's a very good beast. I, I admit, I um, there are a few Michael Mann films that have gotten, gotten under my skin. Oh, yeah. um, I think uh, his the best film of his I've seen is Collateral, frankly. Um, Collateral's great. Just because it, it has it's a good character dynamic. It's also another good L.A. movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the final scenes take place on the L.A. subway that had just been built at the time, uh, so that, yeah. that's pretty exciting. I love um, a lot of Michael Mann movies. I love Heat. Yeah. I love uh, but Thief is fantastic. I, I love me a good sort of like cold, steely, emotionless movie. I'm you know, a fan of like some Stanley Kubrick movies, for yeah. instance, or Christopher Nolan movies. Those are all very cerebral, you know, sure. ca- kind of male-thinking movies in a lot of ways. And uh, Michael Mann is a filmmaker in that mold, and for some reason it just doesn't click with me all the time. That's so fair. I like Manhunter a lot, and I'll, I've seen it numerous times, and I agree with everything you said, but it's it's not on my list for a reason. That's fair. Uh, it's, it's just not something I'm super-duper fond of. Well, let's find out what you're super-duper fond of. What was your number one? Uh, my number one, and you might call BS on mine, okay. <laughs> uh, because this is a murder mystery mm-hmm. where we kind of see the murderer from behind a couple times. Mm-hmm. And there's no cop investigating the murder. Okay. The criminal underworld is investigating the murder. Okay. This is Fritz Lang's M. <laughs> you know who he is from the beginning, though. But we kind of don't. We have to. The criminals have to find out who he is, and it's about sort of. It's sort of about trapping this guy. We don't see his face for a long time. You, yeah, but you know who it is. Well, we okay. know who it is because we know who Peter Laurie is. Well, but, uh, yeah. uh, we can recognize Peter Laurie now. You know what? Maybe I'm not going to. After all this build up, I'm not going to take it away from you. But like, that's right. that's, that's that's right in the line for me. In, yeah, in that's, terms of, I, I figured it would be, yeah. but I, I, I'm very passionate about it. It's a fantastic movie, motion yeah. picture. I will not fight that at mm. all. Please go see M. Mm. It, it kills. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, it's it doesn't meet my definition of murder right. mystery, but whatever, I'll let you have it. It's fine. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> For your it, approval. Yes. Rubber, oh. rubber stamp that. Mm. Well, I, I have my mm. rubber stamp over here, so I can veto yours okay. anytime. Um, well, th- you didn't need to. No, I, we already I talked about fair. it. I played fair. Unlike someone. Well, I'll bandy about a little bit, because I'm <laughs> impish that way. <laughs> uh, yeah, Fritz Lang's M. It's about a, a child murderer, yeah. uh, played by Peter Lorre. We, but again, we don't see his face. Mm. We just sort of see him like, stalk up to children and say, hey, would you like some candy? And this is, this is like, the, the movie that made Peter Lorre. Like, he was not a... Yeah, he, yeah. A, he would become, like, such a household name or at least a household face mm. that you could, like, do a caricature of him and everyone would know what you meant. He was yeah, one he, of the most recognizable movie stars He started the showing up in, like, Warner... as caricature in Warner Brothers cartoons after yeah, he, that. He's, uh, he's the face... He's the worm mm. in the corpse bride's eye. Yeah. And everyone just recognizes it. Uh, Even if you don't know who you're talking about, you know that shtick. 
you can find their recordings of this. Uh, it's not Peter Lorre, but it's somebody doing a Peter Lorre impersonation for Disneyland's Haunted Mansion. Oh, weird. Uh, the ghost host, who they ended up getting Paul Freese. Because was of course Hinges Creek and Dolores yeah. They uh, I can see Peter Lorre doing it. They did uh, a Peter Lorre version, and they did sort of a, like a, a Billy Lugosi version. So, huh. Van Hinges Creek and Dolores Chambers. That was going to be one of the originals. Interesting. And then they did a Peter Lorre. Van Hinges Creek and Dolores Chambers. I can and, see the Peter Lorre version being cool. I don't know. Yeah. I'll that up. But uh, anyway, but that, anyway, but, I digress. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, this has sort of cemented Peter Lorre's reputation as as an actor. He's a very talented actor. Very he talented has a great actor. deal of range, but he, yeah. he played a lot of like weirdos, a lot of creeps. weirdos and creeps and heavies, uh, and was very, you know exceptional at that. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite roles is that uh, he did was that episode of uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, where he's uh, going to cut off Steve McQueen's finger if his yeah. cigarette lighter doesn't light. Yeah, if you can light your cigarette, if you can write your cigarette lighter, like ten times in a row, without or something it, like that, without it misfiring, without it misfiring, you'll get you'll, you'll get my car. But if it misfires, I take a finger. I take your the li- I'll take the little finger off your left left hand. Ah, uh, it's, yeah. like, it's based on a rolled doll story. It's so fucking mm. good. Uh, but yeah, in this one, uh, we only see him from behind for almost, only only a few scenes in, in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, and he's like stalks up to children, and then they they're gone. Yeah, and it's like one of those melodramatic things where you see their toys rolling away, and as a result, the police are well, cramping down on crime really hard. The, well, at, at first we see sort of the immediate effect, like the families of the children, and how that's sort of destroying them, and then it, we get to see that the police are now being completely overworked, and how uh, the, you know the. the Everybody's sort of thrown into this, like, just like in Zodiac. Just the whole city is now in this panic because of this one guy. Mm. And the police are now, cra- you know, like you said, cracking down on all crime. And this makes the criminals' lives miserable as well because yeah. now they're being investigated for things they were previously just kind of getting away with before. So now the criminals so, are, have a motivation mm, to catch the killer, too. And I think the criminals are kind of like the main investigators here. It's not yeah. the cops and, and their no, case that we're following. That's super high concept. That's yeah, a, so, yeah, so it's actually the criminal underworld who's trying to fi- find this one guy. And it's just one guy. Yeah. He, this one guy is committing acts of violence and it's sending these ripples throughout the city. And what's really curious about M is that there's no main character. Even the murderer is not even part of it. it it's sort of like the, the characters move as a mass. The cops are a character and the criminal underworld are a character. Mm. And eventually it's the criminal underworld who finds this guy. And the, the title comes from the fact that... Um, they they've sort of tracked down who he is, and now they need to sort of mark him to show uh, where where he is in a crowd. Mm. And he's wearing this big coat, and a young boy draws a, the letter M in chalk for, oh, for, for murder, and yeah, and pats him on the yeah. back and puts the M on his back. So that that's where the the title comes from. Yeah. You'll see the poster; and it's this really stylized palm with the M on it, and it's, it's supposed to be a little kid's palm, and he's putting it on the guy's yeah, back. Super but, great, yeah. uh, and 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 of course, when he's finally confronted, and we finally see his face, they're like. You, you, we're gonna kill you now. You understand oh, yeah. that? They put him in. They put him in a jury, in a jury mm. of his criminal peers. And, and they're, yeah, they're trying and they're, to. They're kind of, judging him. Yeah, judge him and you know, make yeah. him feel like just completely horrible about about what he does. And because he like, should. Yeah, He's and a monster. Like, and like, why do you, why did why are you doing this? And in sort of what I think is very uh, kind of talk about serial killers, we didn't hear in at least in movies or yeah. even in criminal profiling for a while. He just says, "This is just part of me. Yeah, this is just an appetite I have." To murder children, yeah, it's all yeah. and and it's creepy. But he's he's Peter Lorre, so he's selling it in this really pathetic way. It's like yeah. I know it's wrong, but I just gotta do it. And yeah, and it's like for a split second you might entertain the notion of feeling sympathy for this guy, but you no, can't. you can't, you cannot. No, 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 no. It's a very complicated film. Mm. Uh, Fritz Long was just working in in uh, sound, mm. I think for the first time, right. and the movie is very very quiet. 
Uh, but he knows when to punctuate it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of this movie is told with sound and not really imagery a lot of the time, yeah, which not, is really it, exciting. It, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's interesting because the dialogue isn't all that important. No, it's actually very quiet. It's not back, a lot yeah, of it, The back actually. and forth, yeah. you know, the actual uh, you know, script isn't really all... Uh, yeah. that, the scripted dialogue isn't all that important. Yeah. The, uh, the characters as individuals aren't all that important. It's more about these sort of concepts of crime. Yeah. And I think that's what I really admire about M is that it's able to use these concepts as the players in the drama. Right. Uh, all sort of focusing on this one monster who's been yeah. doing, committing these murders. Like it, uh, it, so it's... Yeah. Whether it counts as a murder mystery is up for mm. some debate because mm. we, we see who the killer is yeah. and there's not like sort of like a, a retinue of potential suspects in this. It's just finding, mm. we know who did it, we just have to find him. Sort of a yeah. murder mystery. Where is the the yeah. where is the killer uh, hiding out and how are we going to get him? Which is, I know, a, a slightly Look, different kind of an angle. I will, I will, I will let it slide. Right. And I will let it slide for one reason only because M is the source of one of my favorite bits of movie trivia. Okay. M had actually a couple of remakes, but more. I think the most recent remake was in 2003 starring Jet Li. <laughs> There's a movie called Cradle to the Grave. Two is a number. Oh, no. Starring Jet Li and DMX and Tom Arnold. Um, It's not not that good, you know? No, it's not. Uh, It originally started as kind of an action movie update of M, as in what if there was a criminal so bad the criminals Hmm. tried to solve the case? And that was going to... You can you don't have to go super creepy with that. That could just be the mm-hmm. setup to some sort of action thriller or whatever. And somehow that all got dropped and ended up being about conflict diamonds. Um, movie has nothing to do with it anymore. It's just one of the weirdest development journeys <laughs> I've ever seen. When you watch that movie Cradle to the Grave, it's okay. But when you watch that movie Cradle to the Grave, you'll be like, how did this start as Fritz Long's M? How did you do that? What happened in the middle? It's like, uh profit like it's like it's the, the underpants gnomes we take yeah. fritz long's m put it in the hollywood studio system eh? cradle to the grave <laughs> absolutely astounding um but let's talk about uh let's 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 real fast let's run over our lists uh and uh I'll go through them so uh whitney your list and uh, this is in the order in which you gave them not necessarily in order of preference yeah uh, for anyone who just wants a quick reminder whitney chose zodiac the original Murder on the Orient Express, directed by Sidney Lumet, Knives Out, Scream, the original Scream, Cachet, L.A. Confidential, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Clue, Stir of Echoes, and M. My top ten was Douglas Sirk's Lured, L-U-R-E-D, Ryan Johnson's Brick, Minority Report, Lone Star, Laura, Clue, A Shot in the Dark, Memories of Murder, Manhunter, and in my number one slot, the original Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, Whitney, do you have any runners-up you want to throw uh, out there? A because, couple. Yeah. Um, uh, There's a, a shortage a, of murder mystery an, Another L.A. film, uh, again, directed by a creep, but uh, yeah. Chinatown is a really fascinating okay. movie. A lot of quiet. I appreciate that it's about really banal things. Yeah. It's a murder mystery that sur- surrounds like securing land for like water distribution rights. Right. So it's like a lot of uh, really really boring settings. Um, Memento is a really fascinating, yeah. uh, con- fascinatingly constructed murder Very mystery. Very clever film. Uh, this is more about sort of the central relationship than it is about the murder. But uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is okay. just a complete hoot. Uh, it's it's incredibly contrived by design. Some really wonderful performances by Robert Downey Jr. and Val mm-hmm. Kilmer. Uh, this one gets points just because of the setting, but I kind of like the name of the rose. I've never seen the name okay. of the rose. It's it's 
pretty dumb, but yeah, it's about uh, mm. medieval monks who are investigating a murder in, nice. a, in a monastery. A seven is on there. J- I put JFK on my runners up just because we were discussing it earlier. Mm-hmm. I do like Minority Report. Uh, Saw represents a certain kind of a mystery that I was really it, hit no, for that's a fair. long time. Yeah. That's fair. If we if Scream is allowed, mm. I think Saw is allowed. Mm. I would say Friday the 13th would be allowed too, you sure. know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, those, those are my runners up. Oh, okay. I had more. Uh, real fast. Um, Scream was on my runners up. Uh, JFK was on my runners up. Dario Argento's Deep Red and Phenomena and The Bird of the Crystal Plumage. Okay. I just couldn't pick one. I think those are all wonderful and they all have great, sure, very exciting divergence. I don't remember the story for Phenomena. <laughs> Phenomena, there's a serial killer and Jennifer Connelly plays a young woman who can talk to insects mm-hmm. and she teams up with uh, one of those um, uh, what, what do you call them when you like study dead bodies? A pathologist? Pathologist. Yeah. with a pathologist played by Donald Pleasance yeah. who specializes in using insects to figure out like here's where the body was, mm-hmm. here's how long it's been out and they team up to solve a murder and the solution to that murder is nuts and you've got to see it. It's so damn cool. Um, let's see. Uh, Copycat with Holly Hunter and Sigourney Weaver. Very underrated, very underappreciated. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original The Thin Man um, is more about the characters than the plot. The plot I always forget. It's actually not very interesting, but the, the protagonists are so great. Mm. Who cares? It's fantastic. Um, Seven was on my list as well. Memento was on my list as well. Uh, the Nice Guys was on my list. The Long Goodbye. Excellent uh, Robert Altman movie. Only just recently uh, fell in love with. Uh, Murder My Sweet is a very good Raymond Chandler adaptation. Doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, the Last of Sheila is a movie oh, that uh, is... It's, it's co-written by, I think, Anthony Perkins and Stephen Sondheim. And okay. uh, it's got a great ensemble cast. I have an issue with the ending, which, uh-huh. keeps, which I can't talk about without ruining it. Uh, that keeps it off my top ten, but people love it for a reason, and I do recommend checking it out. Um, let's see here. Bah, 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 bah. Uh, Primal Fear, I think, is a very good uh, murder mystery slash legal thriller. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. Um, it got a lot of attention at the time for uh, Ed, Norton, Ed, Ed Norton's Ed performance. Big breakup performance. Mm-hmm. Oscar nominated for his very first film. Deservedly so. Uh, let's see. Kiss Me Deadly, I only left off because I had recently talked about it in our Iron List for Film Noir, well, but I love that movie. You know what I left off? My runner's up list is The Long, list is the long Goodbye. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, in the Heat yeah, of the Night, which we recently talked about on another one of our podcasts, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Only reason I didn't include it, we just talked about it. Whole podcast about it. That movie kills. Really excellent. Eyes of Laura Mars is underrated, I feel. Um, very nice uh, uh, sort of lurid serial killer thriller starring uh, Faye Dunaway and Tommy Lee Jones. Mm. Uh, Clute is also excellent, but I haven't seen it in a long time. Murder by Decree, pl- uh, Christopher Plummer plays Sherlock Holmes tracking Jack the Ripper. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's way too long for its own good, but it's super stylish and really, really excellent. Um, let's see here. Bah, 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 bah. David Mamet's Homicide is excellent. Oh, I like Homicide. Yeah. Homicide is really, really good. Um, and, um... Yeah, I guess that's about... Oh, and uh, Body Double. Body okay. Double is uh, my favorite of the um, really sleazy Brian De Palma movies. <laughs> uh, and it's 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 definitely where his influence is on its sleeve, but it's so energized. Mm. You kind of have to respect it. Um, so anyway, those are, uh, those are our picks for the Iron List. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for voting. And, of course, if you want to vote for the next poll for the Iron List... You can head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, the options for this month's poll, we realize this episode's coming up March 1st. This is technically a February episode. This will be our March episode. Yeah. Your options are the best Looney Tunes shorts, 
We've talked about these a few times on the show. I can't promise there won't be a couple of repeats, but there sure as hell are a lot of great ones, and I'd love to talk about that. Uh, Oscar snubs was a request we recently had. Mm. Um, I think this should be films that were nominated but didn't win, because otherwise we're just picking every movie that wasn't nominated for an Oscar. Right. So these are films that were nominated for the Academy Award, and when you look back in history, you're like, how did that lose? Any category is fair game. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We've got here. We've got the best cannibal movies. That's These right. are movies people about people eat who eat people. 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 People who eat people are the scariest people in the world. <laughs> uh, we've got Meryl Streep movies, which I think we've had on the on the poll mm. before. A L- lot of overlap between that and cannibal. You would be surprised. <laughs> One true thing. The true thing is cannibalism. And then lastly, because... Uh, Step, uh, my favorite is stepmom. Who eats another stepmom? <laughs> and then lastly, the oh, last option the, on the poll... That was Jason Sarandon. That wasn't even Meryl Streep. It wasn't. I, don't know. I was just going to let it go, but all right. <laughs> That's fine. You know what? I'm, I stand by my stupid joke. <laughs> Music of the tasty heart. Uh, <laughs> no, it would just be flavor of the heart. Oh, okay. Yeah, that is better. Um, anyway, and then lastly, the last option on the poll is the best movies that begin with the letter E because we are slowly mm. working our way through the alphabet. Whenever that wins, we'll do it. But if you like those other ones better, vote for those, and we'll do that in March. Again, you can head over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network for that and all of our exclusive shows. Uh, you can also email us if there's anything we missed, anything that, like, oh, my God, how do they not include blank? Yeah. Uh, feel free to send us an email. Our email address. Surely there's something we oh, didn't yeah. think of or forgot to mention. I know there's a few. There, yeah. I left most of mine off on purpose, but maybe I forgot something. So feel free to email us. Our email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net. Once again, that's letters at critically acclaimed.net. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Uh, we're also on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And, uh, of course, uh, make sure you head on over to Salt Cat Soap, our Etsy store. Uh, me and M. Lapis da Silva, we design and sell uh, designer soaps. Uh, handcrafted. Smell amazing. Uh, we've got uh, uh, soaps that have uh, a percentage of which are going to charity right now. Um, and on top of a whole bunch of really wonderful gift sets. So please head on over to at Salt Cat Soap on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can also look for us on Etsy. Salt Cat Soap is all one word, uh, and you'll find a lot of material there. Thank you to everybody who's already purchased some. means a lot to us. Um, am I forgetting anything? No, that's kind of it. That's kind of it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. That's the list.